Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Uh, that's Not Gunner Productions podcast. Dark Satellite Media. episode three no big preamble this time you all know what i do and what the podcast is about so let's cut straight to the mustard and introduce our guests now we have joshua rezek who has kindly joined us today with a fantastic film so please there mr rezek let people know where they can follow you online if you wish them to do so and what film you have chosen for us today take it away hey gene it's nice to be here with you my name is josh greetings from the high desert uh, today, I am happy to have chosen one of my all-time favorite movies, and that is 2013's Blue Ruin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, an interesting film. I'll uh, disclaimer at the start there. Um, I am guilty of uh, watching this film for the first viewing, viewing it by association to Green Room. Mr. Jeremy Sonnier, he is the director of Green Room, which I think a few listeners of this podcast will be familiar with. Fantastic film. Uh, effectively, I see it as a as a action film for horror fans. I was kind of expecting that same kind of high octane, extremely tense, crazy scenario for Blue Ruin. No, no, no. It is a crazy scenario, but the way it's presented, the way it's approached, and especially in terms of the pacing, complete opposite, polar opposite, the way it's executed. I'm sure you'd agree there, Josh. I completely agree. And that's really funny because Sonia, I Green Room seems to be everybody's introduction. And that's a really, really high bar that's mm-hmm. uh, when you when you see Green Room and then work your way backwards. Um, I feel like it's that's probably going to disappoint some people because it's extremely high octane and then blue ruin. Um, there's nothing special about this story. The story is very average, run in the mill, but the way that that Sony tells the story of Blue Ruin is is it, it's done extremely well. And I think that uh, that's one of the reasons why I like it. Cinematography is beautiful. Um, yeah. It's just it's just it's told in a really really cool way. 
Yeah, yeah. Let's continue to paint the picture with Jeremy Saunier as well and his filmography, certainly in the early stages. I'm not <laughs> um, hip to the later films after the first four films, his four colour films. I'll explain what I mean uh, in a moment. But um, uh, he started off... Let's introduce the guy, actually. Um, Jeremy Saunier. Uh, now... He is, give me one moment, he is, was born June 10th, 1976, 70s baby, best people around. He's an American film director, cinematographer, and screenwriter. Um, yeah, he's also a uh, punk slash hardcore kid from back in the day. Can you speak more to that there, Josh? Um, a little bit. Um, I have not personally heard any of his music, but... Um, nine times out of ten, if if you see um, any interview with with Sonia, he he's either wearing a sheer terror shirt, um, he's he's wearing some type of you know punk rock or hardcore memorabilia. Um, I did listen to him briefly speak on uh, his childhood and well his his teenage years, you know, being in bands, playing you know music with his best friends, mm -hmm. um, and just being a part of that scene, um, which which was a big part of his inspiration for the movie Green Room, um, you know, being around skinheads and, and all that stuff. Um, you know, when, when you're around that enough, you can, you, you know, you can, you can draw these out and you can see it. Um, I know we're not talking about Green Room, but uh, anybody who's seen it, um, you're not going to have a band in, in your movie that you're directing playing Nazi punks fuck off from the dead Kennedys <laughs> at a Nazi bar, or unless you know what the fuck you're talking about. And um, absolutely, that's about as much as I can speak to his music. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much what I've picked up listening to uh, an interview uh, with him as well, that he was um, fully entrenched in the scene. He never, he never made it big musically mm -hmm. or anything like that, but he uh, was fully entrenched in the culture. Um, he was at shows all of the time, loves the music and that yeah. uh, attitude and love, the attitude, um, you know, of the music and the love of the music and the culture. It does come through in his films, whether it is a direct uh, reference like Nazi punks fuck off played by the punk kids in the Nazi bar and the skinhead mm -hmm. or boneheads as we say on this part podcast go back and listen to episode two we make that very clear um, or um, it's in the attitude towards authority or just a little music reference slipped in as well it's always there it is always there um, well, attitude towards authority and the elite um, as well. Like we talked about Green Room, that's his third film. Blue Ruin that we're discussing today is his second. Um, and then there's the first part of what is being coined by other reviewers. I'm not sure if he named, is actually uh, stated this himself, but other reviewers online have called it the incompetent protagonist trilogy. That is Murder yeah. Party being the first one, Blue Ruin, and then Green Room being the uh, third film. Um, now, you've seen Murder Party, yeah? Yeah. What did you think? This is um, him and Macon Blair, his partner in crime. Uh, we'll certainly be discussing Mr. Blair in detail as we go into Blue Ruin, being uh, the lead actor. Uh, but what did you think of Murder Party? Murder Party was great. Murder Party was fun. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> Murder <Sorry>. Party. <laughs> it, it's, it's a movie that you could try to imagine any other director aside from Sonia doing it, and it wouldn't it wouldn't be Murder Party. Um, yeah. It's yeah. it's fun. I, I would suggest anybody out there who is not familiar with Sonia just to do a little experiment. If you're like what you, if you like what you're hearing, start with Murder Party and then work your way forward. It only gets yes. better. Not saying that Murder Party was bad, but it is. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a fun time. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Absolutely, absolutely. Now he certainly uh, develops as a filmmaker as you go oh, through yeah. the incompetent protagonist trilogy, and then when you look at his fourth film as well, uh, Hold the Dark, where he's given a bit more of a budget as well. Not that is a thing that makes a film but when he is really given full reign as a director at a high level he come it can be masterful i found mm -hmm. that film masterful but i won't go too far into that today because i'd actually like to touch on that actually cover that in the future here on the cinema salon i think it is worth doing certainly in terms of how we look at uh dark films and the sins they demonstrate that one is a prime example absolutely um now, uh, one other thing about the Incompetent Protagonist trilogy I wanted to touch on before we go into Blue Ruin is his use of colour as well uh, mm -hmm. and his use of um, the colorization, the tinting of the film to convey the overall emotional state. Mm -hmm. uh, red, um, sorry, Murder Party is red. Yep. Uh, yep, you, you get what I mean. <laughs> I, I, I definitely do. <laughs> um, Blue Ruin is blue, we'll go into that, and Green Room is green, yes. Um, yes. Um, Murder Party, definitely you see his punk rock attitude, it has a punk rock energy to the production of the film, absolutely. It's anti, I believe, Brooklyn kids, uh, <laughs> I, think, um, I think it's 2000s, yeah, late yep. 2000s, but just against, you know, scenesters art, um, scenesters in the art world, in the contemporary art world, and mm -hmm. it plays them up beautifully. We um, all know I, those people in real life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and be, and um, I myself an, an actor and a, a bit of a performance art kid, but totally against the elitism of the art world. And I myself, not that I've had a murder party, but I am... Um, <laughs> Me and my friends have done a naughty little guerrilla performances within art exhibitions as well to completely just awesome. derail and dismantle <laughs> that whole, you know, uh, exclusive little arty, pretentious elite world of all that before. And it was Love a lot it. of fun. Shout out, Tam. You know exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so. Um, so basically what we're saying that he has developed as a great filmmaker murder party is where you see the seeds planted um and it has just grown and grown um into quite a wonderful uh cinematic garden and blue ruin are the blue seeds as well so i think we shall get into that i think that's enough of an introduction uh for mr jeremy there um actually we can't forget about macon blair uh that um, Macon um, has been with him since the beginning as well, because they both wanted to be filmmakers. Yep. 
they wanted to produce films together. Uh, Macon is the actor of the group. He gives like the human face to their conjoined soul when they make mm -hmm. films. Is that a fair thing to say, would you say? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's definitely a fair thing to say. And from what I understand, there was a point um, when Sonia was trying to get loans um, for doing a film and he had to basically, um, he was under the impression that if, if he told these, you know, these lenders that it was him and Macon Blair, um, they were basically, you know, the head honchos of the movie that they wouldn't fund it. So that, that's the turning point for them. And when they decided to do the, um, you know, more of like the Sundance style and, uh, you know, uh, lower budget films is because they knew that with the two of them being newer filmmakers, um, that uh, they, they wouldn't succeed because nobody knew who they are um, or knew who they were. So it's it's kind of interesting because you can see where they're at now. And I think that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense, actually, with uh, yeah, that makes sense with Murder Party, because Murder Party is not a Sundance film. Definitely no. not. <laughs> no. Definitely not. But um, Blue Ruin along those lines, based on what you were saying, they're not getting the funding from the studios. It was actually funded through a uh, crowdfunding Kickstarter in mm -hmm. particular, I believe, as well. Yeah. Yep. Um, Sonia was against the idea. He was against asking for help. He just felt uncomfortable about mm -hmm. it. But he came to uh, love the process and love just uh, how, you know, basically uh, the audience wanting to uh, have a film made uh, by these guys that wasn't funded by the studios and really spoke to the. Uh, not the everyman, to, to his culture as well, and to the um, everyday people as well, which is another thing I like about his films as well. These aren't typical uh, movie character uh, no. cliches. Um, there's no um, cliche tropes as well in terms of storylines or anything like that. So I think it, it does suit him getting um, a movie funded through Kickstarter, yeah? Absolutely, yeah. And he, he openly talks about him and his wife maxing out um all of their credit cards mm -hmm. for for mm -hmm. being able to do payroll for everybody involved in the movie so that yep. to me speaks volumes alone um you yep. know the fact that he's got he's got a partner that's completely supportive of of what he's doing and um yep. she's involved in in a bit of the filmmaking as well i can't for the life of me remember her name but yeah that speaks volumes to me yeah absolutely so this stuff comes from the heart as well mm -hmm. Um, and him and Macon, uh, they they thought that Blue Ruin uh, 2013 was going to be their last film. So they, after Murder Party, they wanted to show that they uh, were also talented. They were also skilled. They, they could make a film um, that didn't come from the same kind of corporate place as a lot of uh, studio funded or even high art films that would get onto Sundance, but they could make a mm -hmm. film just as good. Yeah. Yep. Coming Absolutely. from their own world and their own hearts. Yeah, definitely. Um, $480,000 this movie was made for. <laughs> yeah. And if you if you haven't seen it, definitely go see it just for that fact alone there. If you have thought about making a film, do your homework. You don't need a lot of money to make some, make a film that looks like it cost millions. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree this, more. This film does. Yeah, this film does, definitely. Um, so as I said, Blue Ruin is a 2013 American thriller film. It is written, directed, and shot by Jeremy Sonnier. Mm -hmm. He has full control over the execution and the vision of the film. Um, and Macon Blair being the human face. Now, the film premiered at the Cannes Film Festival. So, yeah, thinking about we started at Murder Party, then premiered at the Cannes yeah. Film Festival <laughs> as part of the director's fortnight section on May 17, 2013, where it won the Fipreski Prize. Sorry about my pronunciation. Uh, Sonia funded production on the film through the Kickstarter. Um, and MTV called it the perfect example of what crowdfunding can accomplish, and I do agree. <clears throat> okay. Da, 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 da. Uh, Macon Blair is one of uh, stars Macon Blair, and uh, he is also one of the producers. So you see they go hand in hand all the way through. Uh, it's 90 minutes, so it's concise as well. Mm -hmm. It's no two, three hour sprawling epic with lots of padding or anything like that. This film mm -hmm. does get to a, um, its point. It makes its point well. Da, 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 da. And at the box office, now it only made 993,000, so it didn't get over a million. Um, I felt it should have made more. And so, I think, yeah, um, so Joshua Rezek there, good sir, thank you for introducing me to this film. So I can basically, in my own little way here down in Australia, Brisbane, spread the word about this film and the absolute talent that uh, Macon Blair and Joshua Rezek, this dynamic duo, the talent that they are <laughs> together in the films that they make out to the world in my own little way. Okay. So let's um, start, let's uh, begin with the plot summary. And as I said, offline, uh, anytime you want to mark out at all, any thoughts, feelings, reactions you've had doing research, watching the film in preparation for this, please let us know. Sure, thank you. Not a problem. Okay. Now, a mysterious outsider's quiet life is turned upside... One moment. We went, I went to the wrong thing there, but that's okay. Right. It's punk rock. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Dwight Evans, a vagrant, uh, lives out of his car and scavenges for food and money. Dwight Evans is played by Macon Blair. Now, after, now, let's just start there. The first 20 minutes of this film where we get to meet Dwight Evans, our protagonist. The first thing that uh, struck me was the, uh, was the minimal dialogue, the mm -hmm. cinema photography and the music. Uh, but in terms of the minimal dialogue, they were able to establish a complex situation to and for the audience to almost get to know on an intimate level an almost mm -hmm. intimate level our main character yeah um what did you think mm -hmm. of the first 20 minutes yeah. of this film and the way it's done you with me that's of the movie are actually okay. what's that so it's just you just broke up a little there so oh. if you want to just start what you were saying again there please my apologies all right no it's okay uh the the first 20 minutes of the film are the, my favorite part film um like you you had mentioned how much is captured in this without um with, with minimal minimal dialogue 
um, you don't actually find out. Well, you you, you do find out. You, you get an intimate view into Dwight, his the way he's living. Um, a good example is that um, my wife. Uh, this was the first time she washed it. Her and I washed it together uh, the night before last. She was able in that first, I think, like about ten minutes, pick up, you know, on the fact that that he was vagrant, and that was just because it panned from the car scene where he's in the backseat of his car to the bathtub in a stranger's house. And then you promptly see him exiting through the window. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. To, to get out and you're like, okay, well, you know, typically people don't leave through a bathroom window to exit a place. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I love the fact um, from shot to shot, um, the score, the way it, it subtly builds, uh, for that first 20 minutes, it's, it's fantastic. Um, I, I enjoy it thoroughly. Yeah. yeah it's the, it's the most important part of the movie in, in my opinion. Absolutely. The first act is extraordinary, definitely in the way and how to introduce a uh, character and the narrative that they are a part of. Um, and it does trick you at the start there. You think that that's his house. You know, yep. that is yep. his path, of course. I mean, he's got a beard and tattoos. That does not mean he's a vagrant in 2021 nope. whatsoever. Never has done, but certainly everyone knows it's not now. Um, but yeah, when you see him jump out the window, uh, stealing clothes off the uh, clothesline, that sort of yep. thing, it goes, ah, okay. Yep, we see who <laughs> we're dealing with here. But saying that, he's a different type of vagrant as well. It makes you think why exactly he is a vagrant. You do, uh, he goes to his car, which is blue and it is ruined. Yes. Check the name of there. Mm -hmm. There are bullet holes in the car. The reason for that comes up very soon as well. But what you notice about Dwight, he takes care of himself. He has an, <clears throat> he has an established sense of routine as mm -hmm. well. Um, he uh like the reading by lamplight as well mm -hmm. in the car shows that he's very thoughtful as well he's not trying to make anyone's uh it's not trying to put his situation onto anyone else um mm -hmm. he's not taking any drugs he's not out there begging for money or anything like that mm -hmm. um he is uh looking after himself and he is existing in parallel uh, to the regular world as well. He's always close by them, but not a part of them. He's sitting by the beach, but he's not with uh, uh, the group of people. Um, when he scavenges for food just right outside, is it Delaware Funland? Or am I wrong? No, I believe that that's, I, I believe that that's right. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. An, an amusement park which says Funland, which is a beautiful <laughs> bit of symbolism there as well with the title of the, uh, uh, the theme park. Um, and so he's scavenging for food in the rubbish uh, just outside of people having a fun time, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Um, so there is certainly a sense of melancholy about the situation as established straight away as well. You, you can tell that something has happened to um, a, against his own will, not of his doing, to mm -hmm. put the seemingly nice but hard-trodden guy by in this situation, yeah? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and um, so the next step that happens is uh, cop car pulls up outside the blue ruin, his car, um, and knocks on the window to wake him up. 
automatically you think he's going to be uh, basically taken in for b- breaking into the house, which he asks uh, the cop, the female cop, uh, if this was is the case. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's but she um, calls him out. She taps on the window and says his name as well, and she's very gentle with him as well. Mm-hmm. She's not confrontational or aggressive. She has dealt with Dwight before. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, that's she, what I was going to ask yeah, you. Is okay. is it, it? It seemed like there was. Um, it's weird. The first time I remember watching, it did seem like there was familiarity there. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, you know, as gentle as she was being, and you know, he was still. You could tell he was very cautious. Um, but but yeah, that's it. You could tell that um, that they had they had had previous dealings with one another. Yeah, she feels a lot of sympathy uh, mm-hmm. for maybe empathy as well. I will throw it out there. She is a black female cop as well. So maybe it's Absolutely. not just sympathy, it's actually empathy there as well. Mm-hmm. She, not in a condescending way, but she deals with Dwight like dealing with a scared child. Yep. Yeah, you're not in trouble um, when she has him, brings him into the station. It's okay. You're not in trouble. I just want you to be here to be safe. Mm-hmm. And then she drops the bombshell onto Dwight uh, saying that he has been released. You don't know who he is yet. And this is where we can uh, begin to mark out uh, to make on Blair's performance as uh, Dwight Evans, because the look in his eyes and his face just drops. I think he actually lost, visibly lost color. I think Mm -hmm. he actually visibly went white on screen, whiter than he already is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, He, another thing that the officer had said that added um, a little more, um a little more value to that particular scene was the fact that she had she had voiced the fact that when he found out she didn't want him to be alone when he had found out because he was going to find out one way or another she wanted to make sure that he was safe and that he wasn't by himself and i felt that was really really important as well yeah he yeah he wasn't being detained but she wanted him in a safe place she actually says i want you to stay here for a while because mm-hmm. she knows what this news was going to do to him which you see in his face yeah you see yeah. in his reaction absolutely okay um now then dwight begins uh to form a plan and take action uh yeah now the thing to Keep in mind there, viewers, listeners, about Dwight. Dwight is a, he's the everyman character for classic morality play, everyman, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, he <laughs> is like me and you. He is not Arnold. Uh, he is not Arnold. He is not Sylvester. He is not Vin Diesel. Um, he doesn't suddenly become a an assassin grade weapons expert who knows martial arts or anything like that <laughs> he's no john wick that's for sure he's no that's, john wick he's no that's john why wick. he's lovable <laughs> absolutely um and we're going to go into um some uh, humorous detail as well um and the ways that he executes this plans and the mistakes that he makes <laughs> as well absolutely because I think everyone's going to relate to it. And that's what makes uh, his character, Macon's performance in this movie so good. It's Mm -hmm. really the linchpin of it all. Okay. um, So the first thing he tries to do uh, is uh, even before the map, uh, he tries to get a gun. Yeah. Yes, he does. 
He yeah. does. And uh, yeah. it, it lends to one of those strange aspects to where, you know, Dwight is not stupid um, by any means. You know, he, no. he is he's portrayed by other people as a moron, but he, he's not. He is average. But the funny thing about that pawn shop scene is that he immediately realizes that he's on camera and then he leaves. Yeah. So I think that that lends yeah. a lot to that scene is like, OK, well, he was obviously had this in mind. But then mm -hmm. he realized that he was on camera and then he exited. That's a really good point there, uh, Josh. Yeah, Dwight is not stupid. He has just never been in this situation before. Right. Yeah, he's never had to exact revenge before. Yeah, Correct. definitely not. Um, so, yeah, he does leave the pawn shop because he sees that he is on camera. But to show how cluey or, you know, clued on uh, that he is as well, uh, that he goes to, what's a way to put this? He goes to a, a, a good old boy bar, a country yeah. bar. <laughs> yeah. That's perfectly worded. I love it. Thank you. Because yeah. um, uh, location-wise, Josh, you're, you're mm -hmm. the American, please. Where is sure. the set? The... Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, um, where where is the set? What are the locations that Dwight is within oh, at this? The point? locations are from from what I can pick up. They are some. They are Virginia, and Delaware, and possibly a couple places in between. So that would be um, South Southeast United States. Beautiful. Thank you for that. Thank you for mm -hmm. that. Just so you know, we can place the good old boy <laughs> terminology <laughs> there. He goes to a he goes to a bar where he knows people are gonna have guns in the pickup. Yeah, yep. that the patrons yep. are gonna have guns in their vehicle. Mm -hmm. um, now, he tries a couple of vehicles. It's locked. He sees a pickup truck. He sees that there's a gun on the front seat goes to open it up doesn't work uh goes and picks up I'm, I'm not sure if it's a brick or, or a breeze block or a rock i think it's a brick yeah it's a brick throws it through the window <laughs> <laughs> alarm goes off of course there's an alarm uh mm -hmm. and he grabs it runs um into his blue ruin into his car and uh what what is what type of car is that i'm not a car person that was a oh i think it was a pontiac um, oh my goodness. It, it is a very, I don't, I'm not sure about, um, you know, your, um, popular cars in, in your part of the world, but, uh, here that particular car was a very, very, um, popular car uh, so going for a on, really long time. <laughs> so it's a very much an, an every man's car an average person's car. Yeah, it was. Yeah. At one point yeah, or another, yeah, it was, yeah. uh, it was like the, um, basically the Ford Taurus of, of its time. Okay. It was a, okay. yeah, Pontiac. Um, okay. Yeah, cool. some sort of Pontiac or another. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Um, yeah, he throws the gun into the uh, seat of his Pontiac mm -hmm. um, and he opens it up and it has a lock. Yeah, yep. on the gun, so it cannot be used if you steal it. <laughs> mm -hmm. <Yep. laughs> okay, so 
Yep. Um, it was clever going to the good old boy, uh, you know, uh, bar to <laughs> to get the gun to not be filmed on camera, um, but to show how he has never been in this situation before that he is an every man. Um, he uh, takes it to a beachside uh, car park and he's trying with his crowbar, he's trying to hammer, <laughs> break off the lock with the crowbar and, and, and uh, wedging it between two rocks to gain some purchase yep. there. Com not going to work. <laughs> nope. <laughs> and it didn't. <laughs> and um, yeah, yeah. And he throws it in a blue bin as um, a family. Again, always parallel, always close by and not part of the regular world. Yep. Pulls up, drops it in um, subtly without being seen into the blue bin and uh, goes off. Now, why I say blue bin there. This movie is called Blue Ruin. There is his car, which is a blue ruin. Blue Ruin, um, I believe Sonia, as far as I've been able to, to tell through research, basically denotes tragedy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you think of the color blue as well, of sadness, of melancholia, of cold, etc., blue again, the film is tinted blue throughout. Um, mm -hmm. As Murder Party was red. Uh, this one blue, green as well, and then hold the dark as white. So he's very good mm -hmm. with color and emotion. Um, but point okay. being that there is blue all throughout this film. Yeah, and I, I would actually say that the tone of the movie is blue. I mean, tone, you look at the, yeah. the story, it's it's blue. I mean, it's it's not happy. So. Yeah, absolutely. Just the overall tone is blue. Yeah. So the tone is the correct word there. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, and he enforces that, reinforces that throughout. I'm not sure. I didn't count if it was every single shot because you get caught up in the story and action at times. But it's close to a good 70 to 80% of shots have some representation of the color blue. Yeah. Yeah, they did. Yeah. They definitely do. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and it's not garish, you know what I mean? It's not distracting. It was only on my second viewing that that really stood out to me, but it really makes, it really seeps in that tone uh, into your body, into your mind as you're watching yep. this. You feel the tragedy, you feel the sadness, definitely. Okay. Uh, da, 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 da. Okay, so. Um, and I think the next step is uh, that he gets, uh, that is the postcard, yeah? Yes. Yes, yep. the, post, the postcard, um, it, you can't, I, I mean, I didn't pause it to get a close reading of what he is writing, but the postcard, um, it says Virginia on it. He's, mm -hmm. He, he it writes does. that, yep, he writes, writes the postcard, pops it into the blue uh, mailbox. Now, um, and then after that, so you still, um, at this stage, you still don't know uh, what um, he is exacting revenge upon. You don't know the overall goal of his mission yet. Nope, not yet. Yeah, but you know something, is, uh, something bad happened in his past um, that uh, the past is catching up to him. It deeply affects him and he's beginning to take action. Okay, now after um, the uh, postcard is sent, 
uh, because he's got the map as well. He also got a map as well. Um, so you know that um, the people that he is after, because he is obviously after someone as well, because mm-hmm. he has been released. So he knows where he is located and situated, and you know that he's been released from jail. So he parks up outside the jail, yeah? Mm-hmm. That was actually, um, I, I don't, I made a list of, of random mistakes that I picked up on uh, throughout the movie. And there may be some that I missed, but this is number one. The fact that he pulled up in front of the prison, like <laughs> okay. he is waiting for the person <laughs> to get out of. And there's obviously, you know, there's got to be cameras. It, it's a prison, you know. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> So fair that enough. was number one for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, I, again, it's not John Wick. There's no, you know, serious espionage, uh, slick spy action going on mm-hmm. here. Yeah, he's, he's not, he's, this isn't a stakeout by any means. <laughs> it's just like, he, um, yeah, yeah, it's, um, but it's not foolish though. That's just what's to, that's, this is what is to keep in mind their listeners viewers. Yes, it is foolish, but it's understandable as well. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah Cause he's just going, he's just, he's driven by emotion here. He's driven mm-hmm. by instinct almost as well. Not a calculated response to something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you can understand it. You can relate to it. You mm-hmm. can see, yeah, I would do that. That's I, exactly I, it. I, <laughs> I could picture myself doing something like that. <laughs> I yeah yeah I feel for this guy because I would do that. Okay, so da, 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 da. now Dwight uh, da, 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 da. now he, um, a limousine pulls up, yeah, outside the mm-hmm. prison. Uh, this is interesting. This is a little. Um, What's the word? What's the word? It's not a distraction, but it puts the wrong impression. There's little points where <laughs> Sonia very cleverly, in terms of the mm-hmm. characters, puts the wrong impressions and then um, shows the complete opposite, yeah, mm-hmm. throughout this film. So, quite a flash. It's not quite a stretch limo, but, you know, it's expensive, exy enough, this limo. Yeah, and it's, it's playing... <laughs> Yeah, and it's playing R and B, almost early trap music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's blaring out of it. Yeah, so in your mind, you uh, have an impression of who's going to pop out. Basically, some some P Diddy style gangsters. <laughs> <laughs> no, not whatsoever. <laughs> um, you get the the Cleland family. Uh, yes, you do jump out uh they they get out of the limousine to pick up dwight cleland yes uh wait no no sorry wait sorry my apologies wait thank you no you're fine (laughs) wait there's a lot of clelands (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. as you find out (laughs) yeah yeah uh, okay wait now um the family uh, jumps out there's uh, two females that you see uh, and they're trying to get um, someone, and one of them, the older female, is trying to get someone out of the limousine who refuses mm-hmm. to get out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I believe does the, does another male Cleland jump out at this point? Well, as you as you find out, there no, there's only no. one Cleland that gets out, but you yes. do get the impression that somebody may somebody else that is not one of the ladies might be in there. Yep, 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 exactly, exactly. Good point, good point. 
Um, so, um, and uh, yeah, and then uh, Wade Cleland, he's the guy coming out of jail. We will say his name now. Mm-hmm. Uh, because then, because you see Dwight's uh, reaction to this mm-hmm. mu- heavily mustached, big, you know, guy, very big, wearing very a white guy. suit, nonetheless. That that was bizarre <laughs> to me too. It's like, okay, you went in wearing because you come out with what you went in with, you know, mm-hmm. in, in regards to prison. So I found that hilarious. Like, not only did he have you know, the 70s porn star mustache, but he was wearing an all white suit, which uh, was pretty funny. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, which is interesting actually, because yeah, with the Clelands, uh, they're not what you expect, just like uh, Dwight's not what you expect either. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, they went to jail and yes, uh, Wade should have been in jail because they've done something horrible to Dwight to make this nice guy feel and react this way and end up Mm -hmm. in this situation. Um, So you already know that they are the bad guys, yeah? That you know that they are the bad guys when they pull up, yeah? Mm -hmm. And uh, when Wade steps out of prison, but they're not the bad guys you expect they're not put it bluntly they're not complete uh homicidal hicks yeah Mm -hmm. they they have money they pull up in a limousine Mm -hmm. (laughs) they're playing um uh they're playing uh, commercial radio friendly gangster music yeah yeah it's not even biggie or tupac or anything (laughs) like that at this stage (laughs) Um, they're not what you expect whatsoever. Okay, moving on. Um, Dwight watches the Clelands collect Wade from prison limousine and follows them. Uh, they follow. They go to a local club to celebrate Wade's release. Yeah, mm-hmm. the Cleland. Uh, let's just say that uh, the clan, the Cleland yeah. clan, at this point, mm-hmm. um, they're there to help cel- celebrate Wade's release. And a now in Australia, we would call this type of club a working man's club, yeah, or sure. an, R- an RSL. Uh, it's a local pub uh, or bar that you can that the pub that the public can rent out for a function for a gathering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much the same. Yeah, we have similar things here. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Um, so you know what I mean. They're playing generic hard rock music, and they're playing pool, and it's pretty much you know a standard affair that you could imagine uh, these people would hold for someone getting out of jail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now Dwight follows Wade's to the club's restroom. Yeah. Yes. Okay. The way he enters, um, you, I don't know if you had this down on your list. Again, no John Wick style of uh, entrance to hide out, you know, and take by surprise. He basically mm-hmm. just walks straight up to the front door, then walks around the back. Mm-hmm. Um, you see him walk through the back rooms with people, uh, the ladies pouring the beer for the fellas and stuff. Mm-hmm. Anyone could just turn around and see this guy who is still dressed like a hobo. <laughs> yep. And you can tell by his body language that that while he is walking uh, to the back of the bar, he does not want to be doing what he's doing. He he is walking shoulders slumped. He's he's sort of um, moping his way into where he's going. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, just to point out the um, the cinematography at this stage as well, because it's. Um, 
now it is i think they spent a lot of the near half a million on film as well mm-hmm. and i must have as well because it's beautifully shot yes. uh the film stock of is, a, is of a very high quality it has the feeling that you're watching a western uh, mm-hmm. a very well produced western and also this the tone of it, the mood of it, the spacing of it is very Western-esque was the feeling that I got at this point of time. I don't know if you agree. Yeah, yeah, I got a similar feeling. It was beautifully shot. That's all, I'll keep saying it over and over again. That yeah, is one of my absolutely. favorite things about this movie. Absolutely, and I'll throw it in now as well. Um, uh, it becomes more clear as uh, it goes on and the action does speed up and intensify in a way, uh, mm-hmm. the original name for this film was going to be Old Dominion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, so just keep that in mind as we go further into the film as well. But uh, it has, point being at this point of time and the way that it's shot and the way that it's paced, it has a Western feel to it. And, but done in a very unique way because again, we we have a hobo just sauntering in almost in a haphazard fashion mm-hmm. uh, to hide in a restroom to take um, revenge on mm-hmm. dangerous people. You know that the Cleelians are dangerous by this stage, yes. yeah? Again, yep. um, it's just through what has been shown and not told because that is throughout this point, um, again, the dialogue is not huge. There's no big Quentin Tarantino-esque exposition no. monologues whatsoever, <laughs> yeah? Um, yeah. Yeah, but you, the good and the bad have, and uh, and soon to be the very ugly, are well dis- established with very little monologue. Sonia is brilliant at showing, not telling, which is one of the fine arts of making yes. a good movie. Definitely. Yes. Okay. Now he's hiding in uh, the restroom. Uh, Cleland and his friend—it's not, um, it's, uh, not uh, said again who this is, but. Um, you know uh, that it is uh, uh, William Cleland. Sorry, my apologies. Name Wade. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. the names. You know Wade's come in with his friend into the restroom where he's hiding in the um, in the shitter <laughs> in the <laughs> cubicle there, uh, Dwight. Because uh, when he's when Wade comes in and starts talking, uh, Macon. And his performance for Dwight holds his mouth to stop a scream. Yeah. Um, Again, just what what he's able to show just through his face and his reactions, his body without saying anything. The emotions he feels towards his character is extraordinary. But he he is conscious of the fact that he knows how he was going to react. And I feel that, that that's really interesting that he covered his mouth because he knew what he was going to do and he knew he wasn't going to be able to control it. So I, I think the fact that they, they shot him covering his own mouth was really important. It, it just, it, it adds more to, um, to Dwight's character. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Dwight's aware that he has to check himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That he has to check himself step by step. Definitely. Okay. Um, yeah. His, uh, and his friend um, leaves, Wade is left alone in the restroom. Okay. And then White, ah, this is a really interesting part, actually. Uh, Wade looks up in the mirror and he sees uh, Dwight behind him in the shitter uh, mm-hmm. and sees him in the mirror. 
there's that moment of recognition they've finally met again yeah it's yep. a little western moment done by mirrors there yep. white jumps out and then stabs him sort of <laughs> in the throat yeah yep that was uh my my mistake number two okay um, which um you know lends to the fact that that dwight doesn't have a he doesn't have a concept of of you know anatomy um in regards to like ending somebody's life he goes for the top backside of the neck which you know most people you know would know that uh, yeah there's there's some nerves there um maybe some tendons but um there's nothing vital there um but I, I, that was that was really interesting because he had time to plan that out, but he didn't. The first spot he went towards was the back part of the neck, which, you know, there's nothing there. That was just a dumb mistake. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Pause. I really need to go to the bathroom. My sure. Yeah, so he's not John Rambo, definitely. The way he jumps out <laughs> no, with the knife there. <laughs> okay, so there is, um, so there is the uh, initial. Um, Wade grabs his throat, throws him up against the wall. They're staring each other down, looking each other in the in the eyes there. And uh, and then uh, Dwight stabs him straight in the head. Again, as Josh said, no real great expertise mm -hmm. of anatomy. That's just the nearest body part that he can get the knife into. But this definitely drops Wade to the ground because he just got stabbed yep. in the head. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd like and, to add, um, please, go the, the practical effects were... Oh, I'm oh. sorry. Uh, yeah. the, the practical effects for, for these particular scenes. Um, we're not no CGI from what I could tell. Um, no. no, but uh, the the neck slash and the stab to the head were beautifully done. Um, there may have been a spurt of blood that was CGI, but um, from what I could tell that that was at least 98% practical effect. His Wade's one of his eyes immediately went bloodshot um, when he was stabbed in the head. And I, I, I thought that that was really, really well done. Good observation. Good observation with the bloodshot eye as well. That's fine detail. Devil's in the details, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, and to be honest, I didn't even actually think about if it was CGI or not because of the intensity of the altercation as well. Yeah. So um, the sense of immersion yeah. throughout this film is really done really well, is executed really well. Um, okay, so um, he gets out of there. He bolts. Uh, and he jumps back into the blue ruin to escape. You don't see anyone finding uh, Wade's body at this point. Um, but not to worry, <laughs> because he doesn't have his keys on him. <laughs> Correct. That's dumb mistake number three. Three. <laughs> that I should have mentioned before the stabbing was that during the scuffle between Dwight and Wade, because Dwight felt it necessary to wear his keys around his neck, um, Wade grabbed the keys and Dwight didn't realize it. Pulled them off, they're there yep. in the bathroom. He's doing the classic, <laughs> like, uh, check the rear view mirror, is it behind there? Did I leave in the keyhole? No, no, no. Um, mm -hmm. and, then it, and then actually it cuts to the keys on the bathroom floor next to Wade's bleeding skull. <laughs> yep, yep, so, and then you popped for the tire stab. <laughs> I did pop for the tire stab. I did pop for the tire stab. Um, <laughs> 
now that's because yeah so he jumps into the um that's right that's right because he's actually yeah good point so we can't let um, the tire stab go because before he goes to take off in the blue ruin he does stab the <laughs> <laughs> the tire he does. The, yeah yeah and I, I i did pop for this as well because he goes up to <laughs> stab it and rather than the usual ha 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 you won't be able to follow me <laughs> he goes straight in and then straight out going ah because <laughs> yep. it's because you know he, he he's not used to stabbing things um rubber tire there's a lot of bounce there bounces right back into his hand yeah, it's a lot. cuts his palm yeah. down deep he is bleeding all over the shop <laughs> um so when he's trying mm -hmm. to get away and find his keys he's also clutching his bleeding hand to his chest as well and then he finds he yep. doesn't have the keys okay so he jumps in the limousine of the tire he just <laughs> badly stabbed. Um, and uh, and I forget the exact order of cuts, that doesn't matter, but the uh, Cleland clan has seen that little Wade, little Wade is uh, bleeding mm -hmm. and dead on the floor. They come screaming out just as he careens off in the limousine, yeah? With yes. the tire. Which was a beautiful shot, by the way. The the close-up on on the tire as he's pulling out of that parking lot um spinning with a knife in it was was really well done and that's just that's another reason why it's important for saulnier to get credit for for these scenes that that he shoots it's it's not stabbing a tire there's not particularly anything important about it but the way that he filmed it um it was super impressive i mean if, if you think about it it's it's not anything really impressive to shoot, but it looked really impressive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, now, the tire, the, the stabbed tire is not gonna get too far, um, but he gets, I believe that uh, he gets far away enough to uh, stop the limousine and to take pause. Um, no, he, um, he takes, sorry, he actually parks the car, of course, because young William Cleland mm -hmm. is still in the back. If you remember their viewers, listeners, there was someone who refused to get out of the limousine when they went to pick up Wade at the jail. Uh, this is young William, the youngest of the Cleland clan. He never went inside uh, to join the party to celebrate Wade's release. You get the feeling he's not really uh, that much of a fan of his family or what they get up to. He stayed inside the limousine while they were partying. So he's still in the back of the limousine and he's banging on the window, the back window, going, mm -hmm. who, who the fuck are you? Where are we going? <laughs> <laughs> so Dwight stops gets out he lets william he lets william get out um because you know he's not a martial arts expert it's yeah. <laughs> usually usually this would be a fight scene it would be yep. a hand-to-hand -hand combat scene in any typical um action film mm -hmm. all the way through sonia 
he's an action movie fan. Yes, he's a horror movie fan. He enjoys these things, but throughout his films, and particularly with Blue Ruin, he questions uh, these tropes, these devices, these usual way of doing things, and mm -hmm. presents a different way that relates to my, to me, Josh, everyone listening, viewing. Yeah, absolutely. The, ge the genius of Blue Ruin. Now. This is um, pretty much I would I called I saw as the end of Act One as well. Uh, William gets out and goes and says, "Did you hurt Wade?" Mm -hmm. uh, Dwight says, "Yes, he hurt my parents." Yep. Finally, get what the whole picture is there with Dwight uh, in mm -hmm. regards to Wade, but then bombshell. You thought maybe you were um, behind Dwight 100% until William goes, no, I don't think he did. Yep. And you go, well, what the fuck? <laughs> 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 what the fuck is happening then? And that's all that's needed. No big monologues, no big nope. speeches, just dropping little bits of information that people would naturally say. William runs off back to the club to be with his family. And Dwight's mm -hmm. just there stunned, going, have I been wrong this whole time? Did I live yep. in my car for all this time <laughs> and thought this guy was responsible the whole time? Yeah. What did you think of that moment? I thought that that moment was important for a couple, well, really important for a couple of reasons. One of them being, I don't think we can really discuss until the end of the movie, um, but the second, um, the dialogue, it, it, it lends, you know, once again to the fact that, um, you know, Dwight is a very, he's a very kind and gentle, um, your run of the mill, like average guy. Um, the fact that he let William go um, the first time I ever saw this was, yeah. was really important. It's like, okay, you know, you, you've been convinced up until the, this, this point that this guy's you know, relative, you know, that William's dad or uncle had, you know, seriously harmed and, you know, your, your parents. Um, the fact that he didn't want to question him, um, mm -hmm. William told him, you know, no, I don't think they did. And that was, that was the end of the dialogue. Um, short, sweet, to the point, William kind of jogged away, uh, like he was afraid of Dwight and Dwight, he didn't pursue it. Um, I felt that that was, uh, that made me feel really weird about that situation. It like uncomfortable that, that he just, that he just let him go. Yeah. Yeah. It's not letting you side with the hero because it's questioning what a hero actually is about in typical right. movies as well. Definitely. And also Sonia uses nature and the environment that he shoots within really, really well throughout all of his films because mm -hmm. it actually, um, there's a, an aerial shot as well um, before it goes into act two where it shows him in these empty farms in these empty fields yeah. around him while they're sparsely populated as well. So you get the feeling of a man alone questioning what he has done filmically as well as through the dialogue at the end of act one here as well. Okay. Now, uh, act two, uh, Dwight cleans himself up. Uh I didn't notice this till the second viewing to clean himself up. 
uh, you know, to have the shave, have the haircut, put on more uh, <laughs> almost square clothing, <laughs> yeah. clean cut clothing. Mm-hmm. Um, he returns to the original house where, where he was in the bathtub at the beginning because it, it shows the three remotes as it did at the beginning shots there, yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, at the exposition, if you will. Um, and so, you know, showing him shaving and showing him doing his hair and stuff. And then he's watching the news, yeah? Mm-hmm. To see if there is any reports of what he has just done. Uh, you get the feeling that there is nothing because there's no face drop turned whiter than there already is, uh, you know, for any kind of like bombshell information that Macon beautifully pulls off. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, he goes off to see who he sent the postcard to, and that is his sister Sam, played by Amy Hargraves. Let me just make sure I got the name there correct, because uh, her performance throughout this is really, really good as well. Just bear with mm-hmm. me one moment. Cast, yes, Amy Hargraves as Sam Evans, the sister. Uh, yeah. Um, this sibling relationship was done really well because uh, yeah. you, uh, Sonia highlights the difference between them um, when the, with the first shot of uh, Sam, the sister. Uh, she's with her uh, daughters. She's in a suburban home. She is clean cut. She has, mm-hmm. you know, showered regularly and all that sort of thing. You can tell she's looking after one of her children are asthmatic. She's caring mm-hmm. for a family, her domestic sphere, her family unit. She's a loving mother. Uh, she's got a babysitter there while she's rushing off to do corporate things. So, you know, that she works as she's a busy woman as well um that she moved on from the tragedy is what it's implying yes. there as well um this is on the second viewing when you go back to see this is just the filmic setup as well in terms of uh, this, uh, how it's structured um yeah she's um she's moved on from whatever tragedy uh from the tragedy of her parents dying being killed by wade cleland completely different approach to the situation than dwight the brother yeah yep point being um and she's just about to go off to uh, go off to work now that the children are taken care of via the babysitter when sam shambles up shyly and meekly behind the car she turns around yeah. and <laughs> she turns around, sees him, and says, "Dwight," and he says, "Hey, Sam." The fact it's not like they don't say, "Hey," uh, whether visuals or through dialogue. Hello, brother. Hello, sister. No, but you know that they're siblings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's just the genius of Sonia. You just got to see it to really understand how it's done, how it's pulled off. Mm-hmm. You ju- yeah, and just with the acting with these two as well, how that is executed. It's 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 really really good. Um, yeah. Okay. So they go and then they go off uh, for the reunion scene um, uh, at, at, at an American diner. Um, yeah. Typical of that area, I imagine. Yeah. Yep. That's what it seemed like to me as well. 
Yeah, yeah. Now, this is a great diner scene. This is a great um, confront. Well, it's not a conference. Well, it is a type of confrontation. It's a reunion, but a confrontation. They have not seen each other in a long time. You know that Dwight, uh, you def- get the definite impression that Dwight has not spoken to Sam in a long time as well. And mm-hmm. they haven't spoken about what has happened between them. Yeah, about yep. their dead parents being killed. And that's, that's a very important part that you just mentioned, because although they have not spoken to each other, they make it apparent that between both of them, they have both seen one another out and about. Dwight uh, mentions that mm-hmm. that he had mm-hmm. seen her and the kids on the boardwalk, and yeah. she was thoroughly upset that he didn't stop and say hi. So that led me to believe that before Dwight went vagrant, that they had a really, really good relationship. And yeah. when, when he moved on and dealt with it the way that he did, um, yeah. it kind of drove a wedge between them. Yeah, absolutely. And that really points out how I was saying he's all always in parallel to regular life close by but not a part of and that is the most yes. poignant moment yes. of being close by but not a part of mm-hmm. absolutely um and and uh and he does say that he is sorry that's all that said that he is mm-hmm. sorry and she says she is sorry too beat and then makes a joke of it uh, (laughs) about that busted up sandwich busted ass Mm -hmm. sandwich and outside the funland we did see him eating a sandwich out of the garbage and he says i have had worse worse. (laughs) (laughs) um there is humor yeah there are and before this as well uh, it's important to point out this isn't a complete slow burn with a saw a score on a done by a saw and a violin bow Mm -hmm. and it's um, there are moments of levity as well Sonia has an excellent sense of humor and it is drip fed uh, up until this point and throughout the film as well Mm -hmm. definitely and when you see I mean you laugh out loud when you see him stamp the entire (laughs) <laughs> you, you laugh out loud Definitely. with the when the guy sitting at the table next to them turns and asks if he can use the ketchup that's on their table that was another one it's it's a nice subtle slow breakup of yes of the um the monotony of the intensity of of the movie and it's Abs- it's very nice <laughs> absolutely absolutely um yeah, and then I think at that point, I think we're up to there, that uh, he drops the bombshell, Dwight, and says that I... Uh, she says, I know that he's out. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Well, first, Dwight asks if she got the postcard. The that postcard, was, thank that, you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you, that's important. And then uh, um, that that's when she... He explains to her, and then, you know, she doesn't... She, she's not understanding what what he's trying to say. They obviously have communication issues. But then yes. that's when she tells Dwight, I know he's out. Yeah, yep. and he has communication issues. And that is, that's, uh, yeah. I mean, you picked it up before, but this is when it's date, it is stated with the postcard. Did you get the postcard I sent it mm-hmm. two days ago? Postcards take more time than that. Yep. Um, and also he says, I'm not used to, I'm not, um, I haven't, I'm not used to talking to people. I haven't been talking to people for a long time. And she says, yep. that's what people do. Yep. So there is tension. Um, mm-hmm. Sam, the sister is pissed at him, 
but because they're in a diner as well, that regular life is going on all around at the same time, which is a big part of this movie. Um, they're not yelling at each other. They're not screaming at each other. Nope. Um, it's not a big emotional breakdown between the two. Uh, there is the guy who says, you know, can I have some ketchup? He does notice something's wrong. He himself says, oh, uh, sorry my bad yeah. <laughs> what the hell <laughs> so you know it is still tense but it's done in such a subtle way where you would have this type of confrontation in a diner this is what regular people would do and how they'd approach this situation definitely um and yep so um she says that's what people do um you haven't communicated with me this whole time, yeah? Um, I got on with my life and you just left yours and left us alone. You haven't mm -hmm. been talking to us. So he so he decides to actually talk to her and tell uh, her that I killed him. He's dead. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then her response, what did you think of her response to this? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it was it was typical. I think that's how I would like to imagine anybody reacting to to that. Um, yeah, it was. <laughs> I I would if if I were to pick a, a word to describe it, I would say that is the correct way to respond. I guess. I it's it's the human way. It's the human way. It's the human way go. to respond. It's the way That's that an actual fact. human being and not someone in an action film. Uh, correct. I keep saying action film because that is really what's being critiqued within Blue Ruin um, in terms of film types, archetypes. Uh, yeah, she says uh, that she's glad he's dead. Yeah, mm -hmm. she's uh, she's glad that he did it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, you may judge her uh, whilst you're listening to this, but just think about it for a moment of someone that did this to your own parents. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's that human response. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this scene overall is one of the best diner confrontation scenes that I've ever seen. The only thing um, in terms of action films as well, parallel out to action films that it is critiquing. Uh, even though that this one is done very well, it is the confrontation between Al Pacino and Robert De Niro's character in Heat. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah at a diner. At mm -hmm. a diner, um, yep. having to keep things regular, not make a scene, but an intense exchange going on about an intense situation. Yep. Yeah, this is in its own way, because I, I love Heat, I love those two mm -hmm. actors. It's this is movie. just as masterful. This is executed just as well, definitely. Uh, ba, 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 ba. Now, Sab is shocked but happy about it. Um, now, then uh, Dwight shows that, yes, he is an everyday man stumbling his way through this revenge scenario, but he is clued on as well. Uh, he clicks at his head. She has heard that uh, she knows that he has been released, Wade Cleland, um, and even just has just caught up at his head. Yeah, you see it in his mm -hmm. eyes. Where are your kids? Yep. Uh, they never called the police. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And 
boom, they're in the car back to the Sam's house to check on the kids, make sure. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and there you get a bit of action as well. Um, and there, um, it's this filmically in terms of how it's shot as well. You see some handheld action comes in as well when they get in the mm-hmm. car and they zoom off. When you've got big, beautiful static camera, Western style widescreen uh, throughout some close-ups with the action with Wade being stabbed in the head, that sort of thing but no shaky yep. cam until this point you know mm-hmm. what i mean yeah desperation uh, I just, please i just thought of something um it, it actually adds to the intensity it's it's a part of dialogue that i forgot um we we have to remember that that dwight left his car at the mm. bar and that car is registered yes. in his sister's name and he brings that yeah. up he says the register uh, your right. address it's he, he mentioned something to the effect of of the car because right. she asked she's like where's where's the car yeah. he had to explain to her where the car was and then he realizes immediately shit your address is on the registration so yeah. that's when he's like you know beautiful where done. are your kids beautifully done beautifully done because the blue ruin the blue ruin the name is the name of the car it is the name of the film blue blue ruin means tragedy the tragedy follows them throughout this film yes yes symbolized by the car beautifully done beautifully done um yes so they get back the kids are safe Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> the kids are safe at this point. You, uh, you physically deep breathe as a viewer at this point, a sigh of relief. Um, and he's, uh, with some convincing still, uh, but he's able to convince uh, Sam to take uh, the daughters and get the hell out of Dodge, yeah? Because they're going yes. to be coming for her because the car's registered in her name. They know where she is. And also in terms of vehicles as well, she says that the Clearlands own the local uh, limousine company. She has to be reminded of them every yes. prom, every special occasion, etc., etc. yeah? Yeah, good point. I actually forgot yeah. about that. You reminded yeah. me. You reminded me with the other uh, car being registered in her name there. Yeah. So yeah, the vehicles play a part. The vehicles play a part. They are they are symbols they in this film. They are symbols in this film. Absolutely, uh, which suits the location in America. Yeah. 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 yeah that are in, does. Yeah. Absolutely. Because uh, there's, yeah, because um, not only are there vehicles that play a character unto themselves in this film, but also guns as well, mm-hmm. which come, we'll get more into it. But yep. gun, there's a lot of guns in this movie. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a message from the devil here playing around. Yours is a message to the fuckboy you've been keeping around. Bodies out, moving the dirt. There's people gonna die, man. Seen as absurd. Here's a message from the devil. He ain't playing around. So, yeah, Sam takes the kids and goes and um, 
I forget where she goes to some, uh, I think it's her aunts or something, some other family member. Yeah, in Oregon, I think. I yeah. Think she was heading yeah. to Oregon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not hugely important. She's just got the hell out of Dodge. And then we get into the Home Alone section of the film. <laughs> you know, I have to use the restroom real quick. Yeah, please go for it. Our, okay, for cool. It. Of course, of course, of course. In the Home Alone section of the film, yeah, we definitely are, and it's hilarious <laughs> that you mention Home Alone, and we'll talk about that when we get a little further into the movie. Okay, okay, okay. Um, yeah, so uh, there's always moments of waiting as well. Like unlike action films, it's not boom, the bad guys there straight away, straight into the action. Um, you see basically Dwight emotionally build up for what he uh, has to do. Um, and also I wanted to point out as well, um, as we go through each section, each action unit of Dwight's revenge journey here, the past is discarded. At the end of Act One, he, uh, he I'm not sure if he burns or he boxes up and throws in the rubbish, uh, his hobo clothes, his bloodied mm -hmm. hobo clothes, yeah? Um, and this next part where he's looking through family albums, he's looking around the family home, reminding himself of his past, what he has left behind as yeah, well. It, that's another really good point as well, is that um, I didn't realize that this was a family home until he started rummaging through. I just thought it was his sister and her mm -hmm. husband's home. Um, mm -hmm. But until this last time that I watched it and he was going through photo albums, I never picked up on that before, that it was their actual family home. Yeah, yeah, we'll go, I'll go into that. I'll touch on that again as we go deeper. Uh, but in each step, he discards the past. The past is painful to him as well. He, he tries to get rid of who he once was or what, or reminders of what he has done, yeah? Um, but he's setting up the home for a Home Alone style uh, attack. Uh, this include on things. Uh, he <laughs> flicks on, um, Basically, we'll get to the point where the um, that takes basically a day or so for him to basically, you know, be at the family home and go on a nostalgia trip. Then the Clelands pull up. Now, they pull up in the Blue Ruin that was left outside the club. Mm -hmm. uh, the Clelands pull up in the Blue Ruin. Again, his past coming back to haunt him, symbolized yep. by the car. Um um, he has set up the lights upstairs with the water running to give the impression that he is upstairs. A clued on moment. He has chosen the pitchfork as a weapon, which is an yes. interesting choice. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the same thing. It's, it's all coming together now, Gene. The, the good old boys bar, the two of them, mm -hmm. the pitchforks, mm -hmm. the guns. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, shout out to the Magic Lantern uh, podcast, which highlighted uh, this point to me, the, the point of the pitchfork. What they thought uh, with the pitchfork is that you have what they described as the weird America, the American Gothic, the Southern American Gothic feeling in terms of revenge as well. Sure. The family feuds, yeah. The rocking mm -hmm. on the on the on the uh, the rocking chair on the front porch with the mm -hmm. shotgun, the shotgun, that sort of thing. Uh, this film was going to be called Old Dominion, so Sonia had those uh, that narrative history, yep. that uh, mythical history in his mind making this film, and that pitchfork is a symbol of that, a subtle uh, homage to that even. Um, 
Now, if I'm not missing anything out, the Clelands, uh, basically, that they break in. He uh, grabs the keys to the Blue Ruin because, as you mm -hmm. pointed out, registered in the sister's name, the keys are still there. Yep. Um, he's able to, uh, they've gone upstairs because the light and the water was on, um, and he manages to get out of the car. And uh, now he gets into the Blue Ruin at this stage. He, well, there, there's a scuffle. The two, two of the Clelands get out and they surround the house. So he, I think, I think that's in this act. Um, but yes, he does. After he makes mistake number four and mm -hmm. puts the fucking spare keys around his neck after not <laughs> learning the lesson the first time about why we don't put keys around our necks. Yeah, yes, yeah, that is, yes. that is correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he, uh, and then, uh, yeah, one of the uh, Clelands has uh, come out uh, in front of the Blue Ruin. Now, I wanted to point out the fact, again, this is not a typical action film. The Clelands come to this suburban home, this quiet street at night with crossbows. Yep. Not Uzis, Brilliant. not shotguns, but crossbows. Mm -hmm. They are silent. Yeah. Yep. They know what they're doing. I they thought know. the very same thing. Yeah. Yeah, and again, they are not your typical cliched hicks as a show in a movie. They own a, they own a limousine company. They know mm -hmm. how to do this type of job professionally, yeah? Mm -hmm. It's not the heroes that are John Wick. The bad guy hicks yeah. are more closer to John Wick than anything <laughs> yeah. at this stage, yeah? Absolutely. Very true, yes. Um, <laughs> now, now, Dwight uh, runs over, Te Teddy's in front of the car. Teddy Cleland, he's going to come up yes. again later. He is in front of the car and Dwight runs him over. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, again, acting by impulse. Dwight uh, has some clues, but he acts as by impulse, by instinct as well. Um, and uh, breaks, his, breaks Teddy's leg uh, with this, and he goes to place him within the trunk of the Blue Ruin. This is not before the other Cleland. Uh, I don't think he's ever named this brother or cousin or nephew or whatever. I don't think he's ever actually named that guy. No. I think you're right. I, I, yeah. I don't think that he's named. Yeah, yeah, because I think this is the guy in the restroom, and he's at the very end, which we won't spoil as well. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, but Teddy is put into the trunk uh, by Dwight, but not after, um, but not before Dwight receives a crossbow arrow into the leg. <laughs> yes. yes, he does. Yes, he does. He. Uh, I don't remember right offhand, but uh, Dwight did end up with the. Sh oh, he took it from Teddy. After he ran over Teddy, okay, he grabbed Teddy's shotgun and then went after the other Cleland with the crossbow. That's uh, right. They they kind of the had a very yep. yes, yep. they had a very short back and forth. Dwight thinks that he's he's solid, so he heads for the blue ruin. Yeah, and yep, ends up taking an arrow. <laughs> he ends up taking an arrow. <clears throat> now, what I wanted to talk about with the um, the arrow, and also going back to the diner with the guy asking for the ketchup. The ketchup bottle was red, um, and I think he um, asked for it just after uh, Dwight drops the bombshell that he killed the parents as well. Yeah, Ooh. yeah, he does. Yep. Yeah, he does. Now, 
Now, uh, the uh, the arrow uh, in the leg, uh, probably from the blood itself, not necessarily the arrow, but that colouring of that shot, the close-up mm -hmm. there, that is also red. Moments of violence within this blue film are highlighted by the colour red, very effectively That's a really and very good point. subtly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I noticed that. I noticed that. Um, and uh, yeah, um, the other guy, the unnamed Cleland comes, he's shooting the crossbow as Dwight goes off in the blue ruined with Teddy Cleland in the back of the trunk with the broken yep. leg. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, here's another interesting um, choice after this whole altercation at the suburban family home. Um, well, I actually found this an interesting choice. I'm not sure if it was entirely suspicious, the items he buys at the local <laughs> convenience store to deal with his crossbow. Um, actually, you know, before that, he breaks off the crossbow, the top of the arrow, sorry, yes. um, from his leg by wedging it in the car door and yeah. then sawing it off. <laughs> yep. He sure did. So the end of it is still in his leg. Then he goes to the convenience store to buy. Are these suspicious items he's buying? Would a clerk look at him and go, what are you up I, to? I think I think if if a person walked in in the same condition as Dwight, mm. like we, we got to remember that when he walked into that pharmacy, he was white as a ghost. He yeah. was his color was completely white. He's getting a sewing kit. He's getting a couple things of aspirin. Um, Flyers. He's getting, yes, he's getting bandages. He's getting alcohol peroxide. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know he he's he's limping. You know throughout yeah. you know the store. So um, yeah yeah I think that. Although none of those things that he he purchased were illegal, I do think that any any regular clerk at a pharmacy would have, you know, yeah. kind of looked twice at, at him for sure. Just the, <laughs> the whole pitch is sus. <laughs> yes. The whole pitch is sus. But yes. the clerk does notice when he is counting the cash that Dwight yes, gave he him does. to buy, <laughs> there's blood on them. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> and I loved, I loved the clerk just looks up, look at him, looks up at him, looks at the money with the blood on it, looks up at him. And Dwight yep. just goes, <laughs> I, I had a, yep. Yep. <laughs> that's it. no explanation, just yep. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on. Which, Carry yeah, it tells you that he was in pain. I mean, he couldn't even think of a terrible yeah. lie to tell the guy like, oh, you know, it's, red food coloring or or whatever he just uh yep <laughs> it's not halloween yet is it i got the date wrong no <laughs> nothing nothing um and then there's just a, a terrible attempt at getting the arrow out a botched operation yeah yes trying to pull it out with pliers and stuff and pouring alcohol on it like a bad like he's seen a movie and he's trying to do a bad impression of that yes. type of you know thing you see in movies to get arrows and what bullets out and that sort of thing so he yes. gives up his futile attempt and then just wanders in in a worse state than he was in the convenience store into a local hospital Yes, which once again is is we we have to give Saulnier props on this because, like you said before, he's no John Rambo. They didn't even attempt to try to make 
Dwight look like a badass. He tried, he couldn't do it, and then he ends up in a hospital. I thought that that was awesome. Another, another point lending to the fact that he is just a regular person, although he, you know, he tried, he tried his best, but it was just too much. So we ended up in a hospital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, he wakes up. And then he just pulls off all the little attachment thingies, tubes you get in the hospital. And then he just wanders out of the hospital with his art and with the, the robe with the ass showing in the back. Yeah. <laughs> Why do they have those robes in hospitals? Why the shame as well as being sick or injured? What that's you... a really good question. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I know it's it's a blue robe as well, going with the whole blue theme yes. throughout. Yep. Yes. But it just struck me there, just like this guy's already down on his luck and doesn't know what he's doing. Do we have to shame him by showing his pale, pale white, pasty ass? Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, anyway, he uh, he gets some new clothes from again from a washing line, from a clothes line. Um, and then he goes back uh, to Sam's house to clean up. And then his next uh, action that he takes is he uh, thinks, well, I'm sure in his mind, I'm not doing very well at this. Uh, I need some help. I'm no mm -hmm. action hero. Um, so he goes to see the one friend I believe he feels that can help him in this situation. And that is his old friend, Ben Gaffney, an old high school friend. And yes. I loved the character of Ben. This guy's yeah, yeah. Do you remember when I told you that we would come back to the home alone thing eventually? Mm -hmm. Fun fact about about the character Ben. That character is played by Devin Ratray. Okay. He was Macaulay Culkin's older brother in Home Alone. Get out of town. Dead serious. That's ben. Buzz. Buzz from Home Alone. That's Ben. Is that <laughs> Was that intentional or just synchronicity? That's amazing. I, I have no idea, but I thought it was a little fun fact. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Another thing um, about, uh, we'll set it up before we go into the character description. Ben is based on an old high school friend of Jeremy's himself. Yeah. Correct. This yes. character is quite true to life of Jeremy's life. Um, and also Ben has a chainsaw tattoo on one of his arms mm -hmm. that is a homage to Murder Party. If you remember, mm -hmm. Macon Blair's plug-in plug chainsaw there as well. Um, and Ben. Now, Ben, um, well, first of all, uh, Dwight goes off to Ben's family home uh, to meet up with his parents there. Mm -hmm. Um the parents, uh, they don't, uh, they basically give him the address of a club, a hardcore punk music venue uh, where Ben works, yeah? Mm -hmm. um, uh, now, this is basically just Sonia throwing in the love of the culture into yes. the film, yeah? Absolutely, yep. Because <laughs> it is just a club we've both been to back in the day. Yep. yep. It is loud. Um, <laughs> there is dis, um, there's people moshing. There's despondent. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a despondent people, a despondent female in the bathroom looking at the phone. <laughs> they have yep. been. Uh, Dwight has to yell at her yep. so they can be heard. <laughs> it's full of subculture. <laughs> Absolutely. <Yep. laughs> um, 
But we discover that Ben is not actually in the band that he works the bar uh, via uh, the uh, the uh, female music, uh, you know, fan uh, that he gets off work at this time. And so Ben is, uh, sorry, Dwight is waiting outside. Before you, Ben- you think that Ben was, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, please, please, please go ahead. Oh, I was gonna ask you, they, they, don't, they don't actually specify what Ben does. Um, do you think he was a bouncer? They don't. They don't really clarify um, what what Ben's job description is. Not that it's important, but I was just curious. Yeah, she just says that he's not on a band that he works the bar. So whether it's a bartender or could be a bouncer, because that makes mm-hmm. sense as we discover more about his character, sure. definitely. And when we get a look at Ben as well, because Ben's not yeah, a small for sure. guy. He's a no. much <laughs> bigger man than Dwight. That's for sure. Um, so yeah, yeah, that would make sense. That would make sense. Um, but there is an interesting moment, a little bit of uh, character uh, description uh, before Ben comes out when Dwight is waiting outside the club. He actually goes to the rubbish to find himself something to eat. Mm-hmm. Did you notice that? I did notice. Yeah, hold on. You're back, you're back. Yep. Okay. So you just break up for a little moments. Hold on. Just waiting till you move your head. Sorry about that. So you've just frozen a little. Now, now you're back. That's all good. The vo- that's all good. It, it's just the video will be frozen a bit, but the audio okay. is fine. Okay. So that's that's not a big problem. Yes, he does. Um, because uh, uh, Dwight is a character. He is a person of routine. So he's still stuck in the past. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this shows just that just a little moment, uh, just this little beat to show that his character is still stuck in the is in the past. There, I just yes. found that a really nice little touch. But then um, Ben comes out, much bigger guy than Dwight, <laughs> and Dwight saying Ben, Ben is ignoring him. Um, oh, it's what Ben actually looks over at Dwight scurrying through the rubbish, is fossicking mm-hmm. through the rubbish. There's the oh, it's just just a hobo, yeah, um, and pays no attention to him. Dwight notices him, then says, Ben, Ben, uh, Ben's ignoring Dwight. And not for, it's not for a few seconds later until he's playing metal in his headphones yep. really, really loud. And, um, and uh, we see he's wearing the black clothing, he's wearing the boots, he's wearing the metal T-shirt uh, automatically. It's uh, showing, not telling. We get the kind of character Ben is. He belongs in the world of the club. Mm-hmm. And um, Dwight comes up right behind him. Then Ben turns around and goes for his hip. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like he's, he's about to pull out the piece. Yeah. Yep. Um, and just in that moment, you it's set up who Ben is. Yeah. Again, with not telling, just showing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and he's got, um, I don't know if the pickup truck is the right word, is the right term. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, that's yep, right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Cool. Um, we call them Utes down here. Utes? Yeah. Utes, okay. Ute, U-T-E, but yes, yeah, the same uh, thing. Okay. Yep. Um, and um, and then uh, Ben's surprised to see Dwight, but the first thing he says to him, which is great, he goes, oh, my God, you look square. <laughs> <laughs> which was great, which was great, because a moment of humour, a moment of levity, um, but also... You further get to know the type of character Ben is and also who Dwight once was. Yes. 
yeah which is very important yeah mm -hmm. you you had a you have an idea you've seen his tattoos when he was in the bathtub at the beginning gave a little yep. hint this further cements it as well once upon a time this guy just had fun yeah <laughs> once yep. upon a time Dwight was like every other, you know, young person who wasn't square and just mm -hmm. had fun. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Um, but then again, through Macon's acting, playing Dwight as well. Uh, ben, he's dealt with some, you can tell uh, Ben's dealt with some shit before as well. Um, I need help. I'm in a situation. Ben understands, picks that up straight mm -hmm. away. This is shown by turning off the metal, turning off the headphones, turning off the music, which I, he probably never does. I imagine Ben has those on his skull mm -hmm. all the damn time. All right. What do you need? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you, you gather from, from Dwight's previous conversation with Ben's mom, um, when they sat down for tea that, that Ben was in the military and that also lends Thank to you. the fact that, um, mm -hmm, that, um, that may have been part of what drove Dwight and Ben apart. Yeah. Cause you could tell that they were best friends. It, it, it's, it's obvious. And, um, at one point or another, um, they lost touch yeah. and yeah. we're thinking that's yeah. probably due to Ben going into the military. That's that's a very good point as well because uh, yeah yeah um, because you can tell that Dwight's a pacifist the way he deals mm -hmm. with the violent altercations this is outside of his wheelhouse entirely he's just been driven by instinct because he obviously loved his parents deeply yep. as well that made him end up in the blue ruin when they were killed you know the death affected him that profoundly uh, that is a very good point absolutely but before we move on from this scene. Can you speak on El Duce, please? On El Duce? Yeah. I can't. <laughs> oh, you can't? Uh, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> all good, all good. Um, but you remember But you remember when he um, says it was 20 years ago, you left just after the day El Duce was hit by a train. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that part. Yeah, El Duce was uh, uh, the uh, lead singer, if I have that correctly, but he was a member of the band called The Mentors. Okay. Yeah, I was okay. never a Mentors fan. Okay, okay. That's the reference. That's Sonia okay. throw throwing in his reference to the culture there that as makes well. Perfect sense. Shout out again to Magic Lantern Podcast because that's done by a couple of film analysts who are all, um, who the husband um, is about 60, 50, 60 years old now, but he was marking out to that moment heavily with the El Duce awesome. reference, <laughs> which I found very, very cool. So I thought I should highlight it here today. That's awesome. um, yeah, so Mentors fans given tribute to in the film Blue Ruin. Mm -hmm. Okay, so they go back to Ben's house. Um, ben, um, now he's relaxed a little bit now as well, and he's trying to catch up with Dwight as well, and he bring, brings up the uh, uh, the photo of them together with a stripper back in the day, yeah? Yep. I'm <laughs> saying that they both looked terrified. Yep. Um, <laughs> Dwight, um, again, Dwight discards his past. He's in the process of um, finishing his past completely. Mm -hmm. um, he doesn't want to hear about, he doesn't want to hear about um, his past himself back in the day. He does not want to hear about the photo. He says to Ben, Ben, I am in a hurry. This is a serious yep. situation. Ben switches back on to the seriousness, the gravity of the situation, and he goes to the gun cabinet. Yeah. Yep. 
good point about being in the military because this guy knows his guns and he has several within this locker. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> he he's asked. Yeah, he's asking him specific questions. Uh, what do you need it for? Uh, close range, far range. Uh, mm -hmm. How much do you weigh? Trying to pinpoint yep. exactly what type of gun for Dwight's situation is appropriate for. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah. Um and oh what's the beat before they go he goes off to ben's property oh uh, they they were briefly talking about um so you know ben caught on basically like i'm under the impression that ben knew exactly not to the t but ben knew what was going on he knew that dwight needed a place to do what he needed to do ben tells him i have x amount of acres Mm -hmm. um, you just take this road and, um, and go. And he's, yeah. he's, he says something to the effect of um, uh, Dwight starts to tell Ben something and Ben shuts him down and says, Nope, I don't, I don't need to, I don't need any details. Just, just go. Yeah. 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 Um, it's the, uh, Ben notices the arrow wound. That's yep. That's it. That's yeah. it. And says you're really in this, yeah. Yes, and then, correct. and then I, I don't want to know any details. No, 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 yep. anything like that. Um, and then, uh, yeah. Uh, and then Dwight takes Teddy in the Blue Ruin, still in the back. Teddy. Uh, so I don't know. He's been in there for a while now, over a day. <laughs> uh, to uh, the 16 acres, which acts as target practice, as Ben does say he. Uh, he, um, he doesn't hunt, but he uh, mostly target practice on his 16 acres with the target set up. But Dwight does ask him, have you ever killed someone? So that's how yes. Ben knows how deep he is into it as well. And Good then point. Ben says something very interesting. Just two on purpose. On purpose. <laughs> <laughs> and that's like, now being in the war for military service, that does denote dot not to denote on purpose yeah mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> so you go uh ben is heavy yeah don't yeah know what he's, he don't know what he's done but ben's a heavy yeah so mm -hmm. so the perfect person for dwight to go to to deal with the clearance for help with the clearance okay now uh we are set up on ben's land okay um Dwight's psyching himself up. He um, he is he's got some sort of rifle uh, with automatic recharge. I forget the exact name of it. I'm not uh, a gun person. So mini fourteen. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, and he's psyching himself by pointing it at the boot. Yeah. So when he's about yes. to release Teddy, I can do this. You know, I am a man. I have seen action films. This is how they yep. do it, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, and he's also seen the flip phone. It's a flip phone. It's a burner. The Clelands have burners for obvious reasons. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's seen that the family's trying to get hold of him. Where are you? And big caps letters on the phone when he's sitting in the front just before he's about to release the boot. Yeah. He releases the boot. He rushes back. Yeah. <laughs> quickly to set himself up. There was no need for a rush because Teddy has been in the back of this boot of this car for about a day uh, with a broken leg and dehydrated mm -hmm. as fuck. <laughs> yep. Uh, so we say, stay on the boot. And Teddy goes, yeah, that's easy. <laughs> My leg's broken. <laughs> fuck. <laughs> um, 
And Wade throws him some water. He did get some water from Ben as well and throws mm-hmm. him some water. <clears throat> Just a little uh, moment there to reestablish that uh, Dwight is a human being. That's, yes. you know, he is a Correct. nice guy at the end of the day in all of this. Uh, yeah, now, this is an interesting exchange because we further get more, we get more of the story of what really happened to Dwight's parents, yeah? Mm-hmm. Um Teddy, uh, Dwight says to Teddy, I want the truth. Teddy says, uh, the person with the gun tells the truth. You just don't know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, But then he says, in this case, okay, paraphrasing, uh, that I'll tell you the truth. Uh, It wasn't Wade who killed your parents. It was our father, Big Daddy Cleland. Mm -hmm. uh, Wade Sr., Wade Senior, thank yep. you. Mm-hmm. Um, who slept with your mum? Our families are connected. This is a classic mythic, almost family feud. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, um, and yeah. What did you think? What did you think when this bombshell was dropped? It was a really, it was a really, really good scene because not only is it another you know, in a sense, more icing on the cake. But this point of the movie, we get to find out exactly, even though we already had a pretty good idea of what happened to to Dwight's folks, um, we get the truth of what happened to Dwight's folks. And the, like like you had mentioned, it, it's important to, to recognize the humanity that, that Dwight still has. Even though he hates this person, he despises them, he's seconds away from wanting you know to killing this man he gives him a jug of water mm-hmm. he sympathizes with the fact that his leg's broken but he still hasn't lost sight of the fact that you know he's under the impression that this guy is a part of the family that killed his parents um, yeah yeah but yeah it was it was a great scene and the the exchange between the two of them is is what i would like to imagine a real life human exchange um, happening between two people that are in the same situation. You know, it's not your, you know, your, your John Rambo, you know, kind of situation. They're, they're both terrified, obviously, for obvious reasons. They're both trying to gain a leg up on the other, mm-hmm. um, but they're able to converse. And um, it's, it's an intense scene. It is an intense scene. And you also see Teddy as a human being, not just yes. a two-dimensional villain as well, mm-hmm. because he says that he should have taken the time, not his younger brother, I think. Yes, mm-hmm. Wade was the younger brother, young Wade, young mm-hmm. Cleland, um, that he should have taken the time as well. So, you know, he has a sense of sacrifice, love for his family, such as it is. There is still love within the Cleland family unit as mm-hmm. well. And they're both op- operating purely as they know how having grown up in their respective families Mm -hmm. because he says to him why Dwight says why didn't you call the police just like you keeping it in house yeah yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. yeah so that was yeah symbolized very well uh and he makes it very he makes it very apparent that the Clelands also don't care uh for people of color uh Uh, because mm. he he makes that comment when they're talking about Teddy's dad, you know, um, yeah, that, yeah, 
yeah. I'm not yeah. I'm not gonna repeat it. But... No, we're not gonna repeat it. We're not gonna repeat it. <laughs> Just like Rob Stomper, we don't repeat the slurs, but you can yes. get what they are. The uh, they mm. are, you know. Uh, from that part of America as well, if I could uh, can say a family like the, the Clelands, yep. you know who they're talking about. So <laughs> Sonia also does also point out who are the good guys and the bad guys. That's never lost sight of. That's never lost sight of, particularly with that comment does cement it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and that comment actually also cements the fact that that's not Wade's parents or Dwight's parents isn't the first time the Clelands have killed. Um, that's another really important thing to remember too that I actually didn't yep. think about until you just mentioned it. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, definitely. They are a criminal family at the mm -hmm. end of the day, uh, and uh, and with that comment and with other statements as well, this has built up again that instinctual reactive emotion within Dwight, and he shoots him. He always shoots at him, <laughs> and then misses entirely. Yes. <laughs> yes. Was that on your list? Yes, he does. Was that on your list of mistakes Dwight makes throughout the film? Uh, you know, you know what? That wasn't on my list. That's one that I missed. <laughs> he misses so it. You actually, <laughs> you actually yeah. put one on my list because I did. Oh, good. He misses him from about two yards, roughly. Yeah, that's about right. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a gun person. I'm not saying I could have done any better. You know, I shot a BB gun once upon a time when I was very, very young and once shot a Magnum with blanks in it for a film scene. That's pretty much my extent of firearms uh, mm -hmm. in my history. Uh, but point being, as a viewer, you do, it is set up in a way to just go, oh, what the hell, man? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> And then um, uh, Teddy goes, uh, jumps out with the uh, with a, with a little bit of a cliche, little uh, goddamn fish in a barrel or something yep. like that. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's another thing. Teddy's funny. Teddy's funny. You know, he, he he's funny, and I think that that's funny. important too. <laughs> there's there's intelligence there shows that he has intelligence that again yeah. is not the cliched hick whatsoever definitely mm -hmm. and moment of levity definitely as well and also the intelligence is shown as basically has he fools dwight to get the yes. gun often pretending to call up his sister yes um, um dwight gets him to turn away whilst holding out the phone as well yeah they'll they'll that's they'll sort it <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, because he basically just basically from not even looking, just knocks, whacks the gun out of his hand, grabs his yep. arm, punches him, <laughs> yep. and then gets out with the gun pointed at him. Then stumbles back again a bit. Ah, oh, goddamn! My legs are tired. My legs are dead. But point being, he now has the gun. Yeah. Yep. Um, and um, and then he tells him the truth there again. The guy with the gun tells the truth, tells them the whole situation about what happened with Dwight's parents. Um, and then as it looks like he's about to f uh, finish him off, he's about to shoot him. And then you hear a whistling, yep. a fast whistling past across, um, goes past. He's looking around. What the hell was that? And then his face explodes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, um, it's not a 
it's not a hugely violent film, The Blue Ruin, but the moments of violence come out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. They are sharp, they are fast, they are explosive. Again, red used for those moments of violence when his face explodes. Yep. Um, yeah, it took me by surprise. I mean, I yeah, should me have been too. expecting it, should have been expecting it, I guess. But I um, I took me side by surprise there. And then you gotta, hear, please. I have to it. ask you, when when you heard, did you know what was going on when you heard the first bullet whiz by? Did you know what was going to happen immediately after? No, to be honest, no. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I I was super surprised. But immediately after that first one, I'm like, oh, shit. Like I, I knew what was happening. I didn't know that he'd hit him, but I knew okay. what was happening. <laughs> you, you know what tricked me? You know what tricked me? What tricked you? The same, it's the same whooshing sound of, uh, you know, of fast air going past you uh, that was used with the crossbows. So my oh, mind yeah. subconsciously even automatically went back to the Home Alone crossbones, crossbow mm-hmm. siege, yeah? So I wasn't mm-hmm. thinking bullet. For that gotcha. moment, yeah, the next moment before my brain could catch up, bullet face explode. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Then you hear good old Ben saying, "Is just one." Yep. Just one of them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Ben uh, maybe is the closest you'll come to an actual hero in this film. Uh, comes from three hundred yards. Was it three hundred yards? Yep. Yep, 300 yep, yards away. That's about right. Um, and and uh, says, I, I'm sorry about that. I couldn't uh, I couldn't fire until he took aim because I had mm-hmm. to keep it legal. Well, at least on my part. <laughs> a, little, yep. a, a little stab at white there. It, um, it is, but it's it's also another, it's, it's a lending to yep. the fact that Ben is not, he's not a dumb hick. Like no. Ben, he knows the law and he's yeah. really, really smart. The fact that even though he knew his best friend uh, was in jeopardy. He waited until a gun was pointed at him and saved his life. Absolutely, you get the feel. You you get to feel it. You get to know why Ben has killed two people on purpose and is not in jail. Yeah, yeah he's mm-hmm. a smart dude. He's been in the military service. He knows guns and he knows how to clean up a situation yes. like this. Yeah, because mm-hmm. he guides Dwight in the cleanup after ribbing him for like, God damn, I'm so disappointed. You missed him from two yards away. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and the, the comment that he makes um, when, when him and Dwight are cleaning up, Dwight makes a comment about the rest of Teddy's head. He's like, well, what about the rest of his head? And Ben makes the comment, well, the coyotes will take care of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That really, <laughs> and that really, again, put it in place in the environment and the location, mm-hmm. that part of America that they're in as well. Yeah, so again, yeah. Sonia using his environment uh, very effectively as well. Um, and uh, then he basically schools them on a new gun, a different type of gun. You see Dwight uh, basically actually shooting the target from two or more yards away quite mm-hmm. effectively, not perfectly, but good enough to be able to do the job. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, okay. And I think at that point, no, they go back to Ben's house. And there's the yes. goodbye between Dwight and Ben, yeah? Which is um, a, a very strange um, goodbye. Um, if if you remember, Dwight tells him, like, after 
you can you can tell that Dwight is immediately relieved that Teddy is gone. He's he's worried about it because he knows there's other Clelands, but he's relieved because he's he's talking more in depth with Ben about their childhood together. And you can tell because he nice. didn't want to talk to him about it before. Now nice. that Teddy's gone, he's he's more open to discussing the fun that they had when they were kids. Yeah, good point. I didn't think of that actually, but that yeah, that is very true. That is very true. Um, and to dovetail on that, uh, is it a yearbook? Is that the American reference yes. that he pulls out? It's a high yep. school or college yearbook. Yeah. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ben says, oh, "I lost mine near twenty years ago. We put bullet holes in it." Yeah. yeah and show yeah. the character difference that Ben holds on to his, which I think he would have got from the family home, Sam's house. Yes. Yeah, just before the Home Alone siege, he gives it mm. to him. Um, and then, which I thought was a really nice moment uh, as well, a further character development for Dwight, where he says to Ben about the picture with us with, with, with the strippers, Ben starts mm-hmm. laughing, burn it. Yep. Ben takes Dwight seriously as a friend, as a human being. Yes, I will. Absolutely mm-hmm. not a problem. And that um, dovetails on what I was saying before. The hobo stage for Dwight, it's uh, put in a box or it's burnt, it's discarded. Um, from Sam's sister's house, all that stuff, yeah, is put in a mm-hmm. box into the garbage, yeah? Yes. Um, from here, why I think he wants him to burn it He's getting rid of his past. I think he has a sense of uh, fatal, fatal, fatalism. Uh, you know, he knows mm-hmm. what's coming and inevitability of his situation as well. He's mm-hmm. wanting to get rid of the past of the um, what's happened to him and the bad things he has done as well. Showing is not he's not getting comfortable killing here or anything. You know what right. I mean? No, yep. um, there is relief to be able to interact with Ben, yes, but he's not getting comfortable in killing. You know, like in action movies, well, the first time's hard, but after that, it yeah. just becomes easy. There's none of that, <laughs> none of that whatsoever. Now, then we get in, then we come to Act Three, where mm-hmm. Ben goes to the Cleveland home. Yeah, he knows that they're out hunting. This was in the exchange with Teddy in the field, yeah, with the phone calls and stuff. Nobody's mm-hmm. home, all that. So we know that he has time to be mm-hmm. at the Cleveland home without anyone there. Um, so he comes to the, Cle- uh, the Cleveland home. Um, um, yeah, another please. important, um, th- this one really, really caught me and I didn't, uh, I didn't catch it the very first time that I watched this movie. But um, another important thing that lends to Dwight and Ben's character is that before Dwight Len uh, leaves Ben's house to go to the Clelands, um, Dwight steals the battery from Ben's oh, truck yeah, yeah. because he does not want Ben to follow ben to him. Follow him, yes. Mm-hmm. He's, I, he's accepted yeah. his destiny at this point, and he yeah. doesn't want to involve Ben, uh, whether it's from embarrassment or whatever he he steals the the battery out of ben's truck thank you thank you i forgot about that for a moment but like you i noticed that on the second viewing as Mm -hmm. well and that um First of all, I think he doesn't want Ben to be involved in the siege and the, the final showdown with the Clelands. He doesn't want his yeah. friend to be hurt. And also it's discarding the past as well. He's also letting yeah. go of Ben, um, his relationship with Ben through that as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Um, 
Now he comes to the Cleland home. Um, it's set in the woods as well. Again, the environment. We have we had the man alone figuring what uh, he was trying to do, but feeling completely lost in the open fields, the open plains. Then we go into the woods, which is that enclosed mm -hmm. feeling of of oppression, that almost a primal nature is a, is about to take over things as well. It's emphasized beautifully in green room that switched to snow within hold the dark for this uh -huh. final siege the woods is used really well to convey that mood and tone um and he goes into the Cleland home, um, but he does check to see if anyone's there. He has learned a bit since the club at the beginning with the party. He just doesn't saunter in. He actually uh, does uh, come in with gun raised into the house. It's not well executed because it's a Cleland family. It's the clan again there as well. They've Like it should be obvious, they're all going to have guns at this point. Mm -hmm. If he's thinking of shoot, uh, a shoot off here, you know, he's going to be shot down in a blaze of glory oh yeah but he's trying to learn <laughs> he's trying mm -hmm. to learn as he goes in but no one is home no one is home okay um now this is where he has to really sit and stew in the reality of what he's wanting to pull off here because the clearlands do not come home quickly nope no, uh, it is a slow burn set up for this last act to the final uh, moment of action, the final beat of action. Um, and uh, it's interest, all sorts of interesting elements go on here. Um, First of all, he sets up the place at a very home alone style again. You know that, <laughs> you know that almost lounge room fort yes. <laughs> that he sets up as a barricade, which ain't gonna yes. do shit. <laughs> <laughs> which was hilarious. Um, his alarm is a jar of coins against the front door. So when he mm -hmm. hears someone coming in, you know, I mean, he's trying to have some ideas here, but not executing it very well. Right. But there's other, there's other more poignant moments though, as well, where there's a, a couple of graveyard scenes, a couple of burial scenes, yep. if you will. He sees uh, the senior Cleland's uh, gravestone. Mm -hmm. He takes a piss on it which I thought, yes, you know, he definitely fair. does. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. One can understand why. But in a blue tarpaulin, he wraps up the body of Teddy from ah. the car. Yep. Mm -hmm. And actually buries him um, properly and actually uh, sets up a name, uh, a yes. tombstone, uh, a makeshift uh, tombstone with wood with the name Teddy painted onto it as well. Um, so it is ceremonial. There is a little bit of respect shown for mm -hmm. the dead there as well. And that I think um, is based on the fact that he did get the impression uh, well, which, which has been suggested throughout that he knows the Cleland are also an actual family. Yeah. Yes. That they yes. do have a history with each other. They do care for each other. They do protect each other. He's looking through photo albums. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As well. And there are 
Um, I think when he leaves, it makes the it makes the phone call to the house, uh, the monologue, which is played out at the end as well. Um, he's saying things, I don't know how this will end. He actually wants to meet up with them to discuss the situation so it doesn't get to this point before he comes to the family home as, as well. Um, he's trying to avoid the uh, inevitability of this situation, yeah? Throughout yes. the, yeah, throughout the film. And he, he removed all the guns from the house. Can you say that Oops. again? You broke you broke up there, okay. sorry. I okay. He removed all the guns from the house when he yes. got there. And that, that right. lends to the fact that he uh he wanted to, to actually have a, a legitimate discussion with them because he I mean yeah, he, okay. he, he combed that house all throughout looking for guns. Ooh. He was checking under couch cushions. He was um, cabinets and he, you know, he, he did a good job, but um, yeah, he cleared, he cleared all the guns he could out in the house. All the guns he could, we'll get to that though. Um, and again, yeah. they were wrapped up in a blue tarpaulin and dragged out to the pond yep. or whatever it is that is in the house and throws them in mm -hmm. um, as well. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. I, I, good point, actually. Well point, uh, spotted because I read that differently. I read that as taking away their weaponry. Um, but no, like to, uh, yeah, no, that actually wants to sit down and talk it out. That's good. That's good. Um, so it takes a while, as I said, at the start there. Um, and a couple of days do pass because there's a very humorous moment where the lights flick on <laughs> yeah. at night and he's asleep and he jumps up behind his lounge room fort <laughs> with his gun, with his one gun. Um, searches the house. There's no cars. Where the fuck are they? What was that? And it's mm -hmm. a timer. It's a light timer yep. to be set at night, every night. Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> that was great. That was a great Again, <laughs> moments of levity and humor throughout. But eventually the Clelands do return. Um, yes. And they actually return, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, no, no, no. He has taken the blue ruin to the house. Yes, they just return in their hunting vehicle. Yes, yes, not. Yes, yeah, not uh, Dwight's got the blue there. ruin under some twigs and yes, that's mi right. miscellaneous leaves and stuff in the forest. Yes, but that's and that's important soon. That's important soon. Actually, mm. yes. Thank you for reminding me there. No, that's okay. Good. I forgot about it too until you mentioned yeah. it. So. <laughs> yeah. There are, yes, it's, it's like, um, even though it is a slow burn film, there are, every moment that is taken, every action that is taken by Dwight leads to something significant yes. coming up in the film. So I guess the foreshadowing is, is extraordinary, the way that mm -hmm. it's done, because not only is it a, a divisive part of the narrative development, uh, yeah, well, that's what it is. It's just expert foreshadowing. Yeah, uh, yeah. But it's not foreshadowing as we'll slip it in here and there whilst all this other stuff goes on. It is everything. <laughs> it is mm -hmm. everything leads to something else. Yeah. Again, the past is being discarded. There is nothing but the fatalism, fatalism of future events in this film. Mm -hmm. um, even if that's what Dwight doesn't want within his heart. Okay. Cleland's come home. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's right. That's right. He, uh, when he hears the car pull up, the hunting vehicle call up, he rings the burner to the yep. answering to the uh, to the phone to the home phone, so they hear it ringing. They mm -hmm. rush in because Wade is dead. They haven't heard from Teddy 
Yeah, mm -hmm. they don't know where Teddy is now. And we have the three uh, people that got out of the limousine at the very start, the two females, one's about 40, one's about 60. And then there's the about the 40 year old male Cleland who was in the Home Alone siege as well, mm -hmm. the unnamed male Cleland. Okay. Um, and basically he is standing behind them in the lounge, if I have this correct, with the gun pointed at them, whilst uh, the action movie final monologue before the final revenge is taken by the hero, this is how it is uh, executed, how it's presented in the film. I thought this was genius. What did you reckon? Yeah, yeah, I, I, it, it, was, it was genius. Um, the fact that he gets to listen to a pre-recorded message that he gets to witness the reaction of them listening to um, a pre-recorded message that he left. And it, it, it harkens back to, you know, the trailer for me. Um, the first mm -hmm. time I ever saw the trailer for this movie, my, my initial thoughts were, I have to fucking see this movie. Like, this looks amazing. Um, the, the first words that come to mind when this scene hits is, I don't know how this ends. Yeah. And that that is really, really important uh, to me. I don't know about anybody else, but when when they you know play the answering machine message and the first words that you hear are, I don't know how this ends, or I'm not sure how this ends. Um, man, it just it sends me off. I it, it's yeah. it's awesome. Yeah, 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 absolutely. The okay. intensity is just oh yeah 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 especially in this last moment definitely mm -hmm. um yeah so you hear things like that makes two of me two of your two of mine sorry and two of yours yeah i don't i don't know how this is going to end is actually yes. said there the, yeah mm -hmm. there you go on the yep. um answering machine uh message now whilst this whole new whole, this reinvention of the western showdown yeah mm -hmm. uh Young William, again, yes. lagging behind the main family, not wanting to be a part of it, of his own choice, um, not driven to it like Dwight. Uh, he is circling around the house, yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, because, uh, oh, does, no, Dwight doesn't, oh, no, that's right. Okay, remember your beats. Dwight shoots the unnamed uh, male Cleland, uh, he kind of shoots him in the side of the neck, not quite dead. Again, that there's that uh, there's a, a, there's a gunshot. There's a moment of violence. There's the human reaction to what the fuck is happening. Yep. Boom! Shoots him in the neck, uh, dead. Yeah. That's right after uh, that that particular unnamed Cleveland says, um, "We're going to fucking Pittsburgh." Yes. Because they were going to go after the wife and the kids, and he's like, yes. "Guess what? We're going to yes. fucking Pittsburgh." As soon as that said, Dwight pulls out the piece. And fucking yep. shoots him right in the neck. Yes, and uh, and that he says, just as long as my sister is left out of it, because that is a huge, if not the motivation that Dwight yes. has uh, for all of this, of uh, to going after the Clelands is to protect his sisters, to convince them not not necessarily kill them, but to sit down and convince them not to go after the sister. He says, "I'll go to jail. I'll hand myself in. You can kill yep. me, just don't mm -hmm. harm my sister." Yeah, very yep. good, very good. Uh, but yeah, he shoots the unnamed 
uh, male Cleland dead. And this is where you see William coming around with the gun yes. as well. Yep. Okay. So mm -hmm. that's your um, showdown setup there, Western showdown setup. Um, and then you get a look in the face of the female Clelands. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. <laughs> and it's not a little misogynist moment here by myself. We thought the male Clelands looked hardened yes. by life and by crime. Mm -hmm. Teddy referenced it. That's, he said, my sister's bossy. She's yep. the one, the brunette. That face you wouldn't mess with, yeah. Mm -hmm. and because and it comes with the lifestyle. Yes, it, it's the the type of lives they live. I could I could imagine weighs heavy on physical appearance. So yeah. I I agree with you. It's it's not not intentional misogyny by any means. It's it's yeah. what you would imagine those characters to be like if you had never seen them. Yeah, absolutely. And this and this is in contrast to uh, Dwight's appearance as well. Dwight's a soft body. Dwight is a soft body. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? He doesn't go to the gym. He has <laughs> before yeah. this, he hasn't even had scars, I don't think. The only thing mm -hmm. he was unshaven, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, um, from being a hobo. Um, the <laughs> most the most pain this guy has ever felt is getting tattoos back in the day when he was at punk gigs. That's yes. it. <laughs> <laughs> which he left alone 20 years ago yeah yep. so so it is in contrast to Dwight's appearance to the Cleland's appearance um and also it is a, it is a good reversal of cliches these females run the roost you know what I mean mm -hmm. they, they are the matriarchs of the Cleland absolutely um but the sister scared me when I saw her face See what you mean yep. by bossy, Teddy. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Um, now, again, Dwight does does Dwight. Um, he just doesn't fire as well. He's still trying to he's still trying to have it sorted out without resorting mm -hmm. to the final moment, the violence of them all dying here, because that's what's pretty much the only thing left at this stage. Um, but William has come around into the house and has shot him in the leg. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah, I think it was on the side, like uh, yes, so right, it was the right, side, right yep. above his waist. Yep, 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 yep. Um, now he doesn't fire again. This is very important, even though the matriarchs are screaming, "Blow him away! <laughs> Just get it done, get it finished." But then William says that I don't want to. Yes. Um, now I'm not sure if it was Magic Lantern or Sonia who actually pointed this out in the interview that uh, people, a lot of soldiers in World War II didn't actually shoot or kill people. Yeah, they didn't want people even in intense, horrible, violent situations. They still do not want to shoot people. It is not something that humans naturally do just like sure. that. Again, mm -hmm. throwing the whole usual action movie thing out the window. Mm -hmm. um, and William was also a young kid. Like, is, is he 20 even? Maybe. Bar Maybe. If he is, he's bar <laughs> barely 20. Um, and he weighs, he's about, I think he's probably about uh, almost six foot and he weighs about 120 pounds as much as me. He is a human skeleton as well. Yeah. This is not <laughs> his wheelhouse. Also kind of visualizing why he's not part of the family uh, business. Yeah. Mm -hmm. there yeah, may be did. another reason for that that we'll talk about in a little while but yeah go ahead yep 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 um uh but 
Dwight has picked up some skills and he's knocked uh, the gun out away from William as well and shoots up and then says to him, I don't know much about guns, but I think I have more bullets than you mm-hmm. there as well. Everyone else in the room realizes that is the truth being gun people mm-hmm. as uh, well. Um, yeah. Now I think if I have this, I think it's the final moment. If I haven't missed anything that happens next. No, I think I think we're on track. I think we're on track. Now, just to backtrack just a moment before this final moment, you pointed out he does search the house thoroughly for all of the guns as mm-hmm. well. Uh, the Clelands are gun people. They're entrenched in gun culture. Mm-hmm. They are criminals as yep. well. Paranoid. De- <laughs> paranoid as well. They're expecting the cops and other families or other criminal gangs to come to the house at any moment. They are prepared for this type of situation. Dwight did a very good job trying to find almost all of the guns, but he missed one under probably her chair, um, this matriarch's chair, the older matriarch. Um, It is an automatic uh, gun of some description, automatic gun of some description that she goes for, she goes under the chair, scary face Cleland, screams and runs at her. Dwight shoots the one running at her, mm-hmm. giving time for the older matriarch to pull up the automatic shotgun and then just spray him with bullets. Yeah. Yep. Um, and uh, and I think only William is left alive. Yep. Almost. Almost. Yeah. There... William, sorry. No, it's okay. I, I was trying to remember. I think Dwight is still... Um, still breathing um, for like a couple minutes. There's an internal dialogue that's, yeah. Yeah, for this moment though, it is almost a little Tarantino as this moment because it actually goes to outside of the house. You see her pick up the gun, you see her rush and scream, Dwight go to fire, you don't see the bodies drop. External shot of the house, it's black until you see the fire, yeah, the explosions of the bullets. Um, And then, you come back into the house and mm-hmm. then you see Dwight on the floor. Yeah. He's you do. Still, or is it Dwight, William walking off first? William walks off because um, before William walks yeah, out, Dwight it. tells him that his car is parked up the road Thank under you. some leaves and twigs. Yes. And yes. then William walks out. Then William walks out. Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you. Then we have the, uh, the gunfire. Yep. Not sure who is dead. Uh, not sure which order the shots are here, but point being, William is, sorry, Dwight is saying the keys are in the car. Again, the mm-hmm. keys highlighted uh, via Dwight's mistakes throughout, mm-hmm. but the keys become very important for young William to walk off, throw away the shotgun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Symbolically leaving his family behind and uh, to go get into the blue ruin and drive off with Dwight last shot, him saying over and over, lying on the floor, dying, bleeding out, the keys are in the car, the keys Mm -hmm. are in the car, the keys are in the car. Well, that's the last shot of uh, this last moment of action, the final showdown, because the denouement, if that's how you say that, the unraveling after the climax of action, yeah, after the <laughs> climax there um 
you it goes back to suburban life. You still with me? Yeah. Yeah. I'm still with it. Yeah, so you just um, broke up a little bit. Okay. Uh, yeah, okay. okay. Yeah, um, so then it goes back to suburban life. Yeah, take it away. Yep. Um, there is something really interesting um, that my wife noticed when we watched this movie that for whatever reason, never caught my attention. Um, she brought up the fact that um, what if William was Dwight's half-brother? And then I looked at the IMDb credits. William is not credited as a Cleland. He's just credited as William. So I don't know if Saulnier just intentionally left that out in the open. Interesting. It, it is because he would be he would be around that the correct age um, to be uh, a half brother. I mean, a younger half brother, obviously, but. Um, when you think of it that way, it throws a whole different fucking spin on it. And it it makes a little more sense why Dwight didn't pull the trigger on William and why William had no interest in killing Dwight. And you also just reminded me of something that Dwight said when William is approaching him at the end there with the shotgun after he has, um, you know, expelled the bullets there from William's mm -hmm. shotgun, uh, says to him, that is my, is, I forget the wording, paraphrasing, that's my father's son. Yeah? Yeah. He yeah. does actually say it. Yeah, he so does. there is that moment of, re I'm not sure if he had figured this the whole way through, and that was the actual plan of hiding the Blue Ruin with the keys in the mm -hmm. car so William could get out of there. As he mm -hmm. was saying at the end, the keys are in the car. The keys are in the car. This can't all end in death and in tragedy. The Blue Ruin cannot finish here. That uh, the, f the future must go on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is brilliant, which is brilliant, definitely. Um, returns to suburban life. Um, I really liked the little detail how there had been, this is at Sam's house. This is in mm -hmm. the sister suburban neighborhood. Um, how there'd been a big electrical storm in her neighborhood that night. Yeah. That there were trees knocked over in the middle of the road, yeah? Mm -hmm. um, showing a long way away human nature had gone haywire and as did nature had this emanated out you know what i mean mm -hmm. how he uses that environment to symbolize everything mr sonier um little shot of a crossbow arrow in the nicely manicured yep. suburban lawn little yep. moments like that definitely and if i'm not missing anything else the very last shot is the postcard from virginia close-up of the words Virginia on the front of the postcard is yep. put through the mail slot. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man. Uh, and then no no regrets, the old Motown classic. I don't know who does it. Roll credits. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this, yeah, just going through that again, because uh, that's almost in its way a third... Uh, it's uh, experiencing the film for the third time there. It is a really good film. It is. It, it really it is. It really I, is. I, I'm glad that that you were able to give it a couple viewings and, and feel a little bit differently about it. Um, and that's what it took for me, too. I didn't dislike it the first time I saw it, but I kind of thought the same thing you did. I kind of thought, meh, you know, it's it's okay. You know, but uh, mm -hmm. when you mm -hmm. when you read a little more into it, it's uh, it's just for the budget given, for the way it was filmed. Yeah. 
um, for the way the story was told, it's it's worth it. It's absolutely, absolutely, and the way it critiques action films as well to show something new and yeah. different that relates to the everyman is what I really appreciated about mm-hmm. it. Definitely, um, yeah, and. Um, Again, uh, the the pairing of Macon, Blair, and Sonia together to create something magic, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Those two together for a couple of punk rock kids have turned into some of the most significant people in the industry in terms of in the art of filmmaking. These Agreed. two together, absolutely, 100%. Um, I'll just run through just quickly a bit of trivia. Uh, we talked about El Duce and the mentors there. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Ben Gaffney is uh, based on a real high school friend of director Jeremy Saunier's. Uh, Saunier contacted the real Ben while he was writing the script to get an accurate, accurate representation of Ben's moral views and gun collection. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So not resting on any cliches there whatsoever. Uh, ben has the tattoo on his left inner forearm of the electric chainsaw, which is a reference to Murder Party. Mm-hmm. Blue Ruin is a reference to the... Uh, the blue of the room in Pontiac. Uh, there are no opening credits. No. Yeah. Again, not the. I didn't really think about film. that. <laughs> no, no opening credits. Um, those twenty minutes of very minimal dialogue establishes all you need to know. Yep. Um, and this this isn't about uh, who stars in this, who features uh, in this film. This is a human story. Mm-hmm. Um, on the establishing shots of an Oceanside boardwalk, uh, this was filmed in a Rehoboth, Rehoboth <laughs> beach in Delaware. Okay. It, yep, yep. Uh, it depicts uh, Dolly's iconic and instantly recognizable lighted sign, Dolly's. Sorry, I'm not from the area. My apologies, America. Uh, okay. <laughs> it's known locally for their saltwater taffy and long history on the Rehoboth boardwalk. Dwight mm-hmm. is initially living in his car inside Cape Henlopen State Park outside of Luz, Delaware, a few miles from Rehoboth Beach. So there's your placement. There's your geographical okay. placement. Yeah. And many scenes contain the color blue when you watch this you'll spot them <laughs> yep. you will spot them absolutely okay anything else before we get into the rating and sin scale there mr Rezek? thank you very much for that that was a great walkthrough we covered oh. everything definitely thank you for having me i i greatly appreciate it this is a this is fun for me i i've never believed in you know paid film critics but people that actually enjoy cinema that don't get money from from companies to tell them how to rate their movies like this is this is how this is how it should be done in my opinion absolutely but, and i really appreciate someone like yourself who obviously has a deep love of cinema as well um, and doing these walkthroughs as well it really reminds me of how points out to me how the films are made and what's good of them good about them and really heightens my respect and appreciation of love in cinema and gets me makes me better at analyzing film and watching more closely and intently and not just treating it as the equivalent of background music yeah that absolutely makes sense. Yeah. yeah and we get we get the pleasure to maybe possibly introducing new you know people yeah. that are getting into cinema you know movies that uh, they're not familiar with or directors they're not familiar with Yes, yes. And if you've sat through without seeing uh, to the end here, thank you very much for that. Now, don't think of spoilers. Um, It was pointed out to me 
uh, once upon a time to not worry about spoilers. If you hear the spoilers, don't worry about uh, what has happened, what you've heard has happened. Go back and watch to see how they got there. Yeah, mm -hmm. yep. that is a re really good way to look at it. Really good way to look at it, I think. All right, now for the extra fun parts here. Out of seven, Le Fleur de Mal, out of Flowers of Evil, which translates to morbid or scandalous works of art. Uh, just for yourself as a film fan, film lover, don't worry about the sins demonstrated yet. That's next with the sin scale. Out of seven, what do you give this film and why? Uh, for mm, this one's tough because I have <laughs> the way I rate movies is typically I have I have brackets of movies. You know, every movie is an individual, and every movie has a a certain thing about it that's going to make you rate it a little bit differently. But for this type of movie, uh, for the budget, um, the bang for your buck, um, I, I'm going seven out of seven on the Le Fleur de Mont. Excellent. I like yeah, it. Yeah, a lot of like a it. lot of thought went into it and I, I just it's it's easily on my top, I don't know, my top 20 favorite movies. So that's yeah. fantastic. That's fantastic. I love it. I love that we've got a seven out of seven for a film. Brilliant. Um for myself, I am going to give it a five out of seven of Fleur de Mals of Flowers of Evil there. Now I give it a five out of seven. Yes, it is which is a high score which is a yeah, high yeah, score, no. absolutely. Um, I'm not going all the way towards a six or even uh, a seven at, because um, I watched all four of, uh, I watched the first four uh, Sonia films. I've seen the development of his works. I've, uh, not that they've got better, but I've seen the more tricks that he has uh, mm -hmm. put in, you know, more, he has more, um, uh, what's the word? He's got more, more of a repertoire now. There are more arrows in his quiver, if that's the proper terminology. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, uh, this is a slow burn Western is the closest uh, kind of like genre you could place it within uh, as well. I am, um, I think I'm not more of an action fan, but um, pacing at times for me, even though it's perfectly fitted for this film, um, not that it's too slow, uh, that it doesn't work, but it's slow enough for me to not go back to revisit this film too many more times or mm -hmm. to place it higher. So it's an individual preference for me. And having seen the first four films, there are other films like Green Room and especially Hold the Dark, where that was more effective for me. Yeah, sure. Yep, I get it. Yeah, yeah, so that's the only reason. Call it guilty by association. I'll, I'll own up to that, absolutely. But I really appreciate um, your insight into this film because it made me appreciate this film much more than from my first viewing, which would have been less Le Fleur de Mals if I had just watched it and then got on the mic straight away. Yeah, so it's actually given it like two to, like definitely a couple of more Le Fleur de Mals because of that. I do highly recommend this film. The critics, um, absolutely love it as well it's something like 86 or even 92 percent on rotten tomatoes metacritic 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 it goes up to 96 percent you know what i mean um 
uh, people like Mark Commode as well. He said it was a stunning work of art. He's a very well-established British film critic as well. The Magic Lantern, shout out again for your insight there. Um, they really loved the film as well. People, um, also, The New Flesh, uh, available on Spotify, horror podcast. Um, one of them said this would be one of their Desert Island films as well, mm. like Green Room does wow. the Desert Island bands. They said this one would be a Desert Island films. Yeah, if they were left okay. with one film, this would be it. So um, please do watch this, people. It is definitely worth watching. And watch, um, I can't speak after Hold the Dark, but certainly watch his first four films, even watch them in sequence. Not necessarily to see how he develops, but how these techniques build and grow, if, that, mm -hmm. if that's fair to say. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Develops his subjective to, uh, that's based on preference, but how he how he builds and grows as a filmmaker and how him and Macon Blair work together because Macon always shows his face with it's not necessarily in front of the camera near the whole damn time as it is in Blue Ruin, but he's always there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And how how um, it's interesting to see how Sonier does with bigger budgets as well, because. Um, yeah. As, as weird as it is to say, it does change things. And I think it changes things for the better from, from what I've noticed. It's amazing to see what he can do on a limited budget. It's even more amazing to see what he can do, you know, when he's got, you know, that Netflix money. Yeah, yeah, true. There, there's that. There's that. Yes, Hold the Dark Australia is available on Netflix. Uh, mm -hmm. Blue Ruin, um, if it's not available in your country, get yourself a VPN so you'll be able to pick it up anywhere. And if not, just rent it. If not, buy it. It is worth it. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, da, 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 was there anything else I wanted to say there? Uh doesn't matter. We'll come back to me if it's important. Um, the Sin Scale. Now, so far, we have had Cannibal Holocaust scoring five out of seven on the skin, sin scale of the seven deadly sins, sins demonstrated within the film. Romper Stomper uh, holds the, uh, the uh, trophy there for the high or low bar, <laughs> both at the same time. Now, will, how will Blue Ruin stand up? So we will look at the first sin being vain, glory, or pride. What do you think, Josh? Uh, so <laughs> hold on, break it up. Break so it up. vanity, I did. Oh, start again. All good. Okay. Am I back? This there. Sorry about this. There's these technical problems. Does happen from many, many miles no, away. Not. Yeah, you're back. You're back. Yeah people okay cool um so i've got uh, i got check marks next to two um vanity pride um i did put a check mark next to that but with a question mark only because i felt that the pride th there was there was definitely pride there and i think it was on the cleveland side and the dwight side um and it was like mm -hmm. almost like a clan or family loyalty um, okay yeah but uh, that's what I have for that one. Yeah, I think that cements it there for that family loyalty there. Uh, you know, again, the, the old dominion, the fam, mm -hmm. almost the mythic family feuds, pride and vanity is, uh, you know, fuels that certainly. So I will say yes with that. That is certainly okay. one for vanity uh, or pride. Now, greed or covetousness? 
Uh, for me, um, I didn't see either of those things. And at least if, if they were visible, I didn't catch it. How about you? The Clelands know how to make money, but it's never highlighted. It's not at the forefront of their character description as a clan uh, together. Um, and it certainly doesn't play a big part in the narrative. No. So I'm going to say no. Okay. Yep. Okay. Lust or inordinate or illicit sexual desire. Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, I, I don't think so either. At least not at least not in a sexual sense. Um, lusting, oh. I mean, you, you can literally oh. lust after several different things, but I don't think it would be a, a, in a sexual sense. I mean, of course, there is the father and mother of the respective clans, if you will, who oh. came together for their coupling, which started this whole thing. That is very but, true. The way that it's presented and talked about, the way Dwight especially justifies it, it's love. It's not lust. True. Yeah, I would actually posit it more as love. Yeah. So, and lust is different, certainly when yes. it comes to cinematic sin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that is that's a no again. Envy. Straight up want for what the other has. I didn't catch it. Nope. No, no, it's not. It's not. Because uh, both, because there's that parallel. It is that balancing that uh, between the two clans there of the loyalty between the family unit, that contrast to show that these are both human beings. There's no yeah. good or bad. This is just human beings warring with each other. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, hmm. Inter this is interesting. Gluttony which is usually understood to include drunkenness and I also throw in wanton drug use. Okay. Um, you know, I, I would say that if they would have, if I were to make an assumption, if they would have delved a little more into the Cleland clan, I would say that probably yes, in regards yeah. to the Clelands. Um, but they didn't. But, but they didn't. And in regards to the movie as a whole, no. I'm going to say no. Yeah, and we can't make cliched assumptions because those would go they would go against the intent and disrespect the film as right. well. Yeah, yeah. So that's a no as well. This is not an overly sinful. Well, <laughs> it is, but it's pinpointed because we have at number six, wrath or wrath or anger. Mm-hmm. Which is I mean, a big yes. <laughs> I, I was gonna say I don't. I think that goes without saying, but that's a definite yes for me. Because okay, and that is the definitive. Uh, yes, there there is pride as well. Yes, but that is the definitive sin of this film. Absolutely, mm -hmm. this is uh, shows the pointlessness of vengeance. Yeah, how vengeance uh, almost is shown outside of the characters and how it destroys lives. Yeah, outside of yep. the human element to destroy the lives of the humans within. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um sloth is number seven what do you reckon uh no 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 um, not for me i i didn't uh, i didn't catch anything in there that was slothly no because even though it does critique action films this film has a as has an action film quality to it mm -hmm. even if it is on, on a slow burn scale 
Uh, but everyone is doing something to reach an end. It's means to yes. an end throughout. Absolutely. So there's certainly no sloth. So that's just two out of seven. Pride two. and pride and wrath, which is pretty much pride kicks this off. Pride is the foundation for it, and wrath fuels it. Wrath is what moves it forward. Yeah, yep. two out of seven. Mm -hmm. And that's that's very interesting. Um, that shows really how, for me how human this film is, how this is involves real human beings in this type of situation. It's not about us. It's not about us. Well, it's about some assholes, but it makes you look at assholes in a different way. And it makes mm -hmm. you look at violent, illegal uh, activity in a different way as well. You know, that mm -hmm. people aren't out, the, the everyday humans aren't outside of doing this type of thing. Yeah, yeah. You know and it's, I mean? yeah. Uh, Judging from how the the characters you know act and react in this movie, it's a very violence begets violence kind of yes, pacifistic yeah. story. Yeah, um, you know yeah. which I think anybody on on any level could appreciate that. Um, it's it's pretty clear uh, to me. Yeah, and it, if if they were honest for themselves, and that's what good movies, good cinema does. Mm -hmm. uh, it, um, when it involves, uh, when it talks about humanity, it makes you look at oneself. Cinema acts mm -hmm. as a mirror to be honest about yourself in extreme or outside of one's own experience, experiences, situations. That makes sense, yeah? That makes sense, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, Dan, good film. Thank you there, Mr. Uh, Joshua Resick. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, but no, I thank feel you for sharing the yeah. experience with me. I, I appreciate it. It's been fun. Absolutely. We'll um, definitely have you back again if you are keen. I believe we've uh, talked about The Loved Ones, an Australian horror classic. So we yes. shall certainly touch on that again in the future. I look forward to that. Same. I look forward to that as well. That'll be a fun one. That'll be a fun one. Yes, absolutely. Um, but for now, yes, the doors of the cinema salon are now closed. And that is a wrap on Jeremy Sonnier's two 2013 Blue Ruin, Fade to Black.
I'm stacking the copies and I'm putting sin in the cinema. Bearing the bad news, serving the slaughter. Death will take you. Life is a horror movie, it's just sin as the cinema. I'm stacking the copies and I'm putting sin in the cinema. Bearing the bad news, serving the slaughter. Death will take you slow.